before uh, we start, I have to make a mea culpa. Well, two mea culpas, actually. First, I'm going to apologize in advance for this episode. I have a ton of notes and a ton of thoughts. And I know uh, I know. even on a basic episode, I talk a lot and cut you off and all that kind of shit. So <laughs> this might be, this might be even yeah. worse than that. Yeah. Um, okay. This might be the most I've, I've ever written. Um, uh, this could seriously be my, my notes could be an essay on their own or some sort of weird manifesto. So <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Uh, okay. It's uh, it's going to probably be 20 minutes before we even get into the first movie. But I want to talk a bit about rappers and rap music and, uh, you know, rap music and movies yeah. and all that. So yeah. apologies in advance. And uh, also you jump in and tell me to shut the fuck up when you <laughs> feel like it. <laughs> or if you have something to say or you sure. think I'm skipping over or, or whatever. Actually, let's just make that a plan moving forward for future episodes. Just put me in my place, and I, in turn, will right. do my best to leave leave some breathing room between long-winded monologues and sure. rambling info dumps and, and all that. Um, it'll be a whole new big foro. Uh, secondly, and more importantly, uh, you and I went out on Saturday. Yes, we it was a nice day. Had some beers yeah. at a local festival. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, we we had some other friends out and their kids there, and uh, I was in a shit-ass fucking mood that only got worse uh, the more beers I got in me. Um, and it had nothing to do with anyone there. Well, kind of, because my kids were driving me nuts all week doing all kinds of stuff that I'm always fighting an uphill battle on with them. Yeah. Uh, so much so that Sunday I had to literally call a fucking family meeting to try to figure out how to improve things going forward before I literally die of a heart attack. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, on top of that, last week had a lot of other stress with some business fronts and other things and, and every little thing that was getting to me that day. And, and I had a chip on my shoulder about it and any sort of irritating moment or person or comment or situation that popped up, it, it got, it got even worse after you left. So uh, oh, I apologized to you and, Anyone else who's listening who was who was there that day, it was not my, my <laughs> finest hour. And I feel like I'm slowly being murdered by the people I love via constant <laughs> annoyance. So uh, so maybe not the best Saturday uh, for me to have tied one on with all that stuff going on. So again, my, my bad. On <laughs> yeah, it's all right. I, I didn't notice maybe until towards the end uh, you seemed a little irritated, but uh, not. I didn't notice anything leading up to that. Well, you know, I was just trying to have a good time, and and I was not necessarily having a good time, just like I said, because everything was just kind of annoying me, and then, like, one Mm. thing leads to another, and one another annoyance piles up, and yeah, Yeah. by the end of the night, I was just trying to kick everybody out of the fucking house, and, uh, you know, just (laughs) go hide out in my my room, so, uh, again, not, not my... Not, not how I wanted the night to go, but uh, like I said, on Sunday, I was like, okay, listen, everybody needs to... uh, you know, kind of show and prove a little more around here, and hopefully that will lead to a lot less uh, days like that. But anyway, it started yeah. out fun anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> anyway, this is a podcast called The Big 4-0 with Ron and Peter, not Ron's Big 4-0 therapy session. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm Ron. I'm Peter. <laughs> now, most weeks, we take a look back at a movie or two that came out this week 40 years ago, but every once in a while, we run into dead spots on the calendar with movies that are either too obscure or unavailable anywhere or just flat out don't interest us uh peter the second week of september 1983 is one of those weeks um when these weeks pop up 
we've been doing some bonus episodes where we take advantage of the lack of 1983 options to look back at movies we love and haven't seen in a while or, or both. So they don't necessarily fall in the parameters of our 40 years ago concept. A couple of weeks ago, we did The Rookie and The Last Boy Scout because they were two early 90s buddy cop movies we enjoy and don't feel really get their due. This week, we turn our focus to one of my heroes, Peter, a rap <laughs> icon, a living legend, the OG himself, Mr. Ice-T, or as he calls himself, Ice-Motherfucking-T, baby. <laughs> and we're doing what I feel are two of his best and probably most underrated early films. Though there, there's kind of a cult for these two that's come around over the years, I'd say. Uh, we're talking Ricochet with Denzel Washington and John Lithgow from 1991. And an all-star and cast in 1994's Surviving the Game. So, Peter, these two movies, not much mystery on my end. You know I love them, and you know I love Ice-T. Um, I'm looking forward to explaining why, but I don't know your takes on either of them, or uh, even Ice himself, really, for that matter. So I'm interested in hearing your reactions uh, to all of this. So Definitely. Going back to, I would say, 1988, uh, the, the Colors soundtrack came out, um, and I was a big fan of the song colors and also a big fan of the song high rollers which i think came out a year after that possibly 88 or 89 i was yeah. i'm still a big fan of high rollers um and then i bought i bought a couple of his albums and i went and saw new jack city and ricochet and trespass and and he was a big reason for me seeing all those and then somewhere about the mid 90s i kind of it, it kind of just went away like i it, wasn't anything he did it was just uh different tastes and interests and and whatnot so um yeah, yeah it's probably stuff he didn't do you know like it, the the movies by by the mid 90s were sort of drying up for him and um he didn't really evolve his style the way uh where rap was going in, into the mid 90s late 90s and and beyond so so i totally get that high rollers if i'm not mistaken that's on the power album which i believe yes. is 1988 so same year as as colors I agree with you uh, on all that, and I, I also, I guess I'm a little surprised I, I didn't know that you, I, I know you saw those movies, I guess, and, and I'm sure we talked about this, and now that you say it, it sort of rings some bells. Let's start with our rap music background, because a lot of rappers became actors around this time, and there were a lot of urban movies, quote-unquote, being made in the early 90s and throughout the 90s, and rap culture was a big part of that. Um, when did you get into it? Who were some of those early artists that turned you onto it i know you're a big rap fan more than me or, or at least you were oh yeah uh, so yeah are, are you still when when did it happen for you uh who were some of those early guys for you sure so uh i would say 1988 would probably definitely be the year colors is one of the first rap songs i remember liking i would say early 89 probably even more so when uh sir mix a lot put out my posses on broadway and de la soul came out with me myself and i and it sort of spiraled into a fandom from there um, into obviously the 90s was was my peak. I would say 91. I bought Death Certificate. Ice Cube um, became like one of my favorite rappers for a while. And then it kind of that kind of made the West Coast blow up. So that was then I was super huge into Dr. Dre and Snoop and all that. That's yeah. So it, it started for me at about eight, 88, 89. And, uh, and it's still to this day, I listen 
almost exclusively to rap. Um, not a, nah, I wouldn't. I'd say it's probably 70 percent of what I listen to is rap still. Okay. Even even sure. some new stuff. That's kind of what I remember. Yeah. <laughs> from when we were you know living together and hanging out and stuff. So yep. So sure, it hasn't hasn't changed that much. Obviously, and still into it is fair to yeah say obviously definitely. So. Yeah, I think I kind of started tuning out after 93 94 95 at least that's that's where it was starting to slope for me at least looking back uh somewhere in there post chronic post doggy style i think is when it it started to slip a little in 93 i liked uh cypress hill and wu-tang icy's home invasion which i think is unfairly underrated in in the wake of all the cop killer and body count controversy and oh i mean we probably won't even have time to talk about body count but ic's got a whole other fucking (laughs) thing beyond rapper movie star um tv star he's also uh uh, the head of a a hard rock or heavy metal band or whatever you want to call it um which he seems to be more passionate about than being a rapper frankly he's made more body count albums in the last two decades than he has uh any rap albums but anyway uh, i digress but but yeah by by 95 or so i guess i like maybe coolio in there and and some other stuff but when Notorious B.I.G. And, and Tupac and all that later Death Row shit was kind of dominating, Rapid kind of uh, crested for me. Sure. And uh, by the late 90s, when you got like Jay-Z and um, 2000 shit like Mac 10 and all those guys with those like diamond studded titled <laughs> album. What was what was that unit or whatever that was called? Well, there was the, yeah, there was, was there, like, G unit. Yeah, that? there was G unit. There was like uh, there was No Limit Records and Cash Money, which had the the pen and pixel um, CD oh, covers cash money. I'm thinking. Yeah. The, yeah. Mac 10 yeah. was on cash money and it was, yeah, they had the big, big gaudy. Uh, yeah. I'm chain. thinking about the ones that always had, they had, yeah, they had like the same, they, they all uh-huh. look the same, right? Yep. So, yep. Uh, okay. That's, that's the one I'm thinking of. Um, I remember you had some of that stuff. So I, I did, think other yeah. than just seeing pictures of it in, in magazines and uh, reviews, the only reason I even knew some of that existed was because, because you had it, but yep. um, yeah, you know, by by then I I was done. I I dip my toe back in every every now and then. I like some Eminem and DMX and whatever in the two thousands, uh, but I definitely lost the thread with rap and, and was pretty much just a, a rock fan moving forward. Um, I missed the political and informative stuff that got me into it, like T and Cube and NWA and Public Enemy, and and I know the beats when you go back and listen to that stuff are fairly pedestrian nowadays, but that stuff was so different back in the day. Uh, and, and Sonics aside, uh, so eye-opening and, and deep lyrically, uh, even to this day, I can't, I can't get into like, say Kendrick Lamar or something, you right. know, I, I appreciate what he's about and, and what critics say about him, but it's just, it's just not for me. And, and, and Drake and, and all this, you know, it's just like, nah, I'm, I'm good. So I totally, I, agree. I don't know why, but yeah. Well, there was a uh, there was a resonating feeling to that music. There was a uh, you know, and I know, I know it was the time, but you know, at, at that age when you're when you're very impressionable and you have these artists that are speaking their minds to such a they're doing it in a profane but a, a profound way also, where they're they're driving home these points and they're doing it in such a such a bombastic, cool way that it's it's you gravitate towards yeah. it when you're a kid and. Uh, and the message. Well, we grew up with it as it was, yeah, as it was becoming what it. Well, I mean, like we we were growing as rap was growing, and uh, we, yep. we 
saw it in real time. Maybe I guess you can make the argument Curtis Blow and and some of that. Although we we were alive for that, right? What is that? Seventy eight or seventy nine? Yeah. So no, granted, sure. we were babies or just born, but rap was in its infancy when we were in our infancy, and I think it was just the the right time for our generation to glom onto that. And then the the other point or the biggest thing, you know, we're two white guys. Uh, I I uh, was a middle class white suburban kid, and you know, my parents oh. were divorced. We lived in a apartment growing up. We didn't have a lot of money. I'm not going to say we had you know hard times. My mom always made sure everything was pretty good, but yeah, not a not a ton of money. And um, I I can kind of I don't want to say I can relate to gangster rap or anything, but it, it's just one of those things where I, I always like black music as as a kid, but it was always pop music and, and the obvious stuff like Michael Jackson or Prince and your Stevie wonders and Al greens to whatever extent. And yeah. I mean, I was raised on like top 40 radio, uh, even, you know, quote blue eyed soul, like Hall and Oates and, and guys who sounded like that, you know, Huey Lewis, George, Michael, even Billy Joel to whatever degree. And that's just to name a few. But so I had all these soul and R and B roots, but never heard a lot of rap or, or really even cared for it. I remember seeing some L cool J tapes, I'd say like Target or or Kohl's. Remember when Kohl's was more of a department store like Target, where they had yeah, and they had toys tapes. and movies yeah. and music. Yeah, yeah, I do and electronics and stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and and there was like Run DMC and the Fat Boys, and and I'd seen movies with these guys and music videos from, but but none of that really appealed to me. And and then again, I never really listened to any of that. And I guess it's just because I didn't know anyone else who listened to it. And and at that time, and I'm talking eighty six, eighty seven, so like third grade and it's not your your average what your friends were tuning into or anything like that and at school if kids were talking music at that age it was basically a pop fest they're talking michael jackson and madonna right so yeah it's your parents who are are your main musical influence and even though my mom had a ton of michael and janet and whitney uh there was no rap so in the late 80s i did get into some of what i guess you would call pop rap or I, i don't know safe mainstream rap like bust a move and parents just don't understand and you can't touch this and you know stuff on the radio but but i never really knew about hardcore stuff like nwa or ice t and and i think i'd seen the tapes while browsing music stores and i guess i i just knew it wasn't for me you know that was they were dangerous stay away whatever It, it just didn't look like anything that i i knew anything about so fast forward i guess it had to be uh late 1990 early 91 or so i'm in sixth grade we start hearing about gangs in school i'm becoming a little more aware of social issues in the news rodney king happens and again i'm this suburban white kid and didn't really understand gangs and ghettos and all that at least not beyond broad strokes and things i'd seen in a few movies at that point but there was no nuance to any of that gangs were just these generic bad guys in, in movies and um and now i was starting to see and hear more about the culture surrounding all that and the struggle that that breeds that life um, in entertainment, you know, not just on the news, but I was already a movie buff, but then you mentioned colors and there's these movies like colors. And then uh, it really took off in 91 and 92 with like new Jack city and boys in the hood and juice and South central and yeah. deep cover. And, and hell, even stuff like Lawrence Caston's grand Canyon was exploring racial oh, tensions yeah. and police violence and, brutality and LA culture and, and all this stuff. And it, it wasn't just because of Rodney King. I mean, these movies came out the same year or, or the following year as that whole situation. So they're already being made. People were already trying to get that message out there uh, that coincided with the Rodney King beating and, and no doubt hundreds of thousands of other incidents that were just as uh, problematic at the time, but it was just sort of this poetic 
serendipity that the King thing happened while all these rappers were trying to get their message out and all these movies were trying to, to bring that out. And um, that was, that was the thing that I think really pushed me into, into rap and, and that whole thing. Yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a great point is that, that Rodney King situation really, I mean, that's, the chronic itself is is kind of a, a rallying cry around the the riots that that happened after that, and you know, Ice Cube's uh, the Predator, which is all which is one of my favorite albums ever. Uh, they talk about the riots a lot on that album, and then I think Home Invasion they were going to have come out around the same time, but then since Dre and Cube were both blowing up, they pushed it to like March of '93. But still, that's that's only four months after the chronic and. Man, yeah, that that was a heck yeah. of a politicized time, but you could you could feel the the anger and the uh, the outrage, and it came through in the music uh, really well. Even like you said, for suburban white kids like us, right? But you also see rap changing then because Ice T has been sort of though he's West Coast, he's been sort of steadfast in his his sound and and uh, kind of rehashing a lot of the same lyrics. Well. Here you have this whole G-Funk thing going on and uh, the the music is kind of moving past him at that point. And whether it's stubbornness on him, his part or he he just isn't feeling that and, and more power to him, you know, follow your muse and, and do what you want to do. But uh, yep. yeah, th- those those guys made a conscious effort to even even Cube, if I remember correctly, Lethal Injection was his attempt at a more of a chronic. Type a sort of pop they, rap, uh, yeah, yeah, a more popular. Yeah, not it wasn't death certificate anymore. It was him trying to right follow the the, the game of of the day. Yeah, with but, the with the synthesizer, uh, you know, the G funk sound and everything. I'm yeah. lethal injection. And then it moved on again yeah. uh, almost immediately. Come come ninety five and, and ninety seven and ninety nine and two thousand one and, and whatever it is. And Ice T, uh, for better or worse, and and for whatever reason, just. Like I said, he he almost seemed to be more taken with acting and and body count than than he was with the rap game. And he he gives you some clues in his songs. He he talks about there's a bunch of different songs. Fuck the pop crap, and this isn't a pop album. And uh, he just wants to keep mm-hmm. it keep it 1991 forever. <laughs> and um, again, for better or worse. But but back back to back to 1991 you know so so here i'm watching these movies here's all this stuff in in the news and in our culture and then here's ice t who who was credited essentially with inventing inventing gangster rap with six in the morning yep. which was pre straight out of compton pre fuck the police pre fight the power all that and now he's in this movie new jack city and and his theme song new jack hustler is an absolute fucking banger that i fall in love hell with hell yes the, the first time i hear it and i I don't know how it caught my attention with no radio play. I, I'm maybe I heard a censored radio version, but I don't, I don't think so. I think I think maybe I wanted to see the movie first, then discovered Ice via the movie. I honestly can't remember what came first, but I know the OG album, which New Jack Hustler is also on, was the first one of his that I got. But that it was after I had already seen New Jack City, after I already had the New Jack City soundtrack. Um, and had already listened to Jack Hustle like a million times before I before I got that album, and um, and I know that because I bought the OGL met a uh, like swap meet type uh, style 
table out in front of Summerfest. What ninety one wow. was I six sixth grade, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I was in Summerfest. It might have been on the grounds, but you know, it was one of those booths where somebody had a table of just all these cassettes. I think it was they were even bootleg. I don't even think it was like a real studio album i think people just made copies of them and copied the the cover and then sold it for 10 bucks or maybe even less sure. i probably got it for five bucks and that's the reason i finally bought it and didn't have to worry about the cashier telling me there's a parental advisory label on it so i i can't buy it so <laughs> but but so so that was summer summer fest and that that movie came out in april so i'd already saw it i, I already wanted to see ice in fact the reason i was down at summer fest is because he was playing at a free stage at Summerfest, and one of my buddy's moms took us to go see him, having wow. no idea what she was about <laughs> to be in for, and, uh, you know, tons of swearing and stuff, obviously. I barely remember the show. I remember it being good. I remember him singing New Jack Hustler and Six in the Morning, Colors and stuff. Um, I also remember seeing a news report either that night or the next day saying that due to all the, the language that was going to be the last uh, free rap concert they were going to <laughs> allow at Summerfest, which... Which we know has changed in, in yeah. recent years, but I don't know how long he <laughs> he had rap banned from Summerfest <laughs> because of that. But anyway, so so I, I, I it's kind of a chicken and egg scenario for me in terms of how I how I got into Ice T. I don't know if it was New Jack City first or if I if I already liked him in that song beforehand. Uh, but the point I want to make about New Jack Hustler and why it blew me away is that that song, especially for someone who never really heard hardcore street rap before, distills the entire quote game to use a, a, a rap slash iced tea phrase into four and a half minutes of I got all this shit and everyone wants to be down with me and I'm bulletproof and I die harder than Bruce Willis and all that to the last <laughs> verse of how the whole neighborhood is fucked up with drugs and rape and death and you better not come here you'll get robbed and shot and that's just the way it is and some things will never change you know and and he ends the song by saying lock me up yeah but there'll be another one after me it's just <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like mind blowing. It was like, I, I, I was like, what the, what the fuck? I mean, I, yeah. I had never heard anything like that before. And, and maybe had I heard cube first or NWA first, who knows? But, uh, that was like a, just the shot in my arm of, I need to hear more of this, you know? Like, yeah. Well, that's a hell of a, that's a hell of a song to, uh, to introduce yourself to that, to that genre for sure. Cause it's, like you said, it's a great fucking song. I every time I hear it to this day, it still hypes me up. Yeah, it's got those jazzy parts. Um, I don't know if I like the the little little kid or whatever it's supposed to be at the beginning saying, "Yo, man, I want to be down." With you. But but again, that's a, a necessary. <laughs> there, he's he's got a song um, on Home Invasion called "It's On." It's the first song that starts the album. There's this little skit at the beginning that I I always thought was kind of dumb. It, it's it's Ice T and, and this guy and the guy's like, "Yo, Ice." The organization says they can't stay in business with us anymore. What you gonna do? And he's like, "Well, we already knew we were gonna come to this situation. Uh, we just gotta we gotta keep moving. I can't put any cut on the product. I can't live like that." And he's like, "From now on, if cops get in our way, and then it's like bang, 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 and the song starts." I'm like, "They should have started that song with the gunshot." But then I realized what he's talking about is Warner Brothers, and like he, <sighs> the organization is not gonna stick with them post cop killer. Uh, the product is not a drug. It's his music. He can't live yep. by putting a cut on the product. And so, and now I listen back to uh, New Jack Hustler too, and it's it's less subtle than than that. It's on intro, but I realize you you need that kid saying, "Yo, man, look at that pinky ring and and all this," because by the end of that song, when he's talking about uh, how you know there's there's pregnant teens and children screaming and all this, and he's like, "But I gotta I gotta get more money than you got." 
you know, that's mm-hmm. that's the, the mentality and that's the breakdown of of how all that shit goes. And uh yep. yeah, I mean, goddamn, it's just it was it was such an eye opening thing. Yeah, that's a great point. Hey, the rest of the soundtrack I was thinking of New Jack City wasn't I think there was only like two other rap songs, maybe. I think I remember I Wanna Sex You Up was on it and Yeah. There was a song called There's a Two Life Crew song on there. Oh, is there? Okay. Yeah. Two Life Crew ends it with In the Dust, which is Two Life Crew is always known as kind of like kind of this dirty, nasty, sex, you know, obsessed band, but it kind of chronicles the the the, the downfall of a neighborhood and uh, AIDS and rape and crime and and all that. It's one of their more serious songs. Now, granted, I've never been a huge Two Life Crew fan, so I don't know if they were maybe a little more socially conscious than I'm giving them credit for, but that song is definitely one of the more profound ones that I've heard from them. But that's the first time I remember ever ever hearing them do any sort of uh, rap, as anything. opposed, yeah, anything, yeah. yeah as, almost every other song I've heard them do is like a party song, basically a horny party song, right? Well, and and I don't know if that's just the songs that they're notorious for or that we know them for. It, it could be, but. Uh, like I said, I, I've never done a real deep dive into Two Live Crew. I always like pop that coochie, or uh-huh. <laughs> or the uncensored yeah. version. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, back to Ice T. So I won't spend too much more time on on him as a rapper. But also, you know, his, his flow is just so good, and and some of this leads to why he's a good actor, or why I think he is a good actor, and we'll talk about it as we get into these movies. But uh, it, it's not necessarily that he flows better than say Cube or Snoop or something like that. I, I don't think he. he probably does uh but ice knows how to hit words and syllables for just maximum impact and not that other rappers don't this isn't like a a thing just unique to him but he can be smooth and angry and funny and downright snotty the way he drops like a a f-bomb or something Uh, he he made me just sit up and take notice and go holy shit this guy means every word of this shit and he's here to school us on all of it you know and, and, and a decade later it was the same thing when when i finally discovered bruce springsteen out of nowhere it was just like this lightning rod effect of something new and next level and this artist who just feels like they're 100 percent genuine 100 percent genuine passion and and means every just fucking word that comes out of their mouth i'm sure it's how people felt when they heard dylan back in the 60s or something like yeah. that you know it's just so exciting when when you discover something like that and it happens so so rarely I mean, maybe it happens for a lot of people with music for me it's i can only think of a handful of times where i've just been so just galvanized into like this person is now one of my one of my guys yes. and i'm gonna listen to everything and and follow him everywhere so that's a great feeling when you can go back and look at the uh you, you've discovered somebody later in their career and you can go back and listen to 10 15 albums that you hadn't you may have heard right. but hadn't listened with the same appreciation you have right yeah you can you can listen to jimmy but you can't hear jimmy (laughs) (laughs) is that uh white men can't jump yeah but no that's that's the that's the thing you know that when they when they talk about that in that movie you know it's like that there is some truth to that people can put on a uh you know a bruce springsteen song and be like oh you know cool I, i like dance in the dark or whatever but then there's this whole other thing where you like can just devour all his albums and lyrics and stuff like that and i think ice T's the same way um like i said he's not maybe known for having the most smooth uh, beats and all this other stuff and, and a lot of hits um you know he never had an album as big as the chronic or, or m&m right. or snoop or anything like that but but all those people their their arc eventually falls too um rap is a sort of a fickle 
game, unfortunately. Uh, it seems like you you hit for a while and then somebody else comes along and does something different and you kind of fall by the wayside and and that's just the way it goes. But uh, after after New Jack Hustler, I went back to all his other shit. Iceberg, Power, Rhyme Pays, uh, all just as dope and eye-opening. And after New Jack City, uh, in terms of movies, I, I knew I was going to follow this dude's movie career also. And uh, I did that until it kind of went off the rails, which I, I don't know if we'll get around to talking about some of his uh, crazier <laughs> straight-to-DVD shit like <laughs> Leprechaun in the Hood and, Leprechaun and whatnot. In the hood, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's a there's a place for that too, and I still have a soft spot for some of that shit. Also, it, it's I I as as we talk about these movies, I, I you'll see that I could see better things for him and wanted better things for him. And it's it's cool that he's still acting. It's cool that he found a, a gig on Law and Order that he's been doing for 20 years or whatever. Um, I just wish he would have got to play that out in, in movies a little more and see where where that might have gone. But anyway, tonight we're talking about Ice's second film, Ricochet. Actually, it's his fifth movie, uh, and New Jack City is his fourth, because um, he essentially played himself, or, or a version of himself anyway, in, in the break-in movies and a movie called Rappin' before New Jack. Uh, but it's like one of those M. Night Shyamalan things where people refer to The Sixth Sense as, as his first movie, even though he made two little scene, you know, forgotten movies before that. Sure. So, New Jack was his first proper acting role, uh, and certainly his first major studio release ricochet comes out in october of 1991 only about six months after all the kudos for new jack city which uh, like i said i loved and saw in the theater so there was no question uh i was making my mom take me to see this one at, at 14 i remember anticipating it for however long it was when i saw the first poster tv ad uh, i remember sitting in some eighth grade art class drawing the poster <laughs> art from, oh, nice. from a newspaper <laughs> ad or something that's awesome um and and it did not disappoint. This this movie is just as pulpy and crazy as I remember it. And uh, I, uh, you, what do you think? Yeah, Ricochet. I I there was more that I had forgotten than I had remembered about the movie, which was great because it. I want to want to say it felt like the first time, but it kind of did. Like there was just this, like oh yeah, this this is oh man, I forgot all about that. Like all this shit was came flooding back to me. Plus the appreciation that I have for movies like this, like it's kind of a, it's almost a forgotten movie amongst the, all the, all the early nineties action movies like this one, you know, and it did pretty well at the box office, but uh, this one I hadn't yeah. seen much since probably the mid nineties. I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've seen it since the mid to late nineties and uh, man, I loved, loved it watching it again yeah isn't it's it was me too i i've seen it more than you i think but and i it hasn't yeah. been that long since i watched it because i i bought it huh, i mean i've had the dvd forever i think it's one of the, the those early first generation dvds well i gave you mine it's it's in that snap cardboard case and and all that yeah. they've they've since re redone it i bought it for a buddy because it was like five bucks on amazon he's like i've never seen that or i haven't seen it in 30 years or whatever and i looked it up on Amazon to see if, if you could get it. It was like $5. So I just ordered it for him and shipped it to him. And now it's in a, in a, a clamshell or whatever they call the, uh, the normal things, but still oh, not, normal. not okay. remastered in any way. It's not like on Blu-ray or, or anything like that. So you're right. It, it's kind of just this sort of ignored movie, even though I, the people who've seen it love it and people bring it up from time to time as one of those, uh, underrated sort of overlooked classic 1990s, action movies it's directed by russell mckay he uh he did highlander and highlander 2 before this then the shadow and the real mccoy after 
the Dolph Lundgren flick Silent Trigger. Um, they're not bad movies, not great, um, though, as we'll get into, I think Ricochet was great. Um, Silent Trigger, The Shadow, Highlander all have their kind of revisionist fan lobbies these days. But, uh, I mean, let's be real, none of these, even Ricochet, are, are the kind of movies that get you a ton of acclaim and the low box sure. office gross has pretty much sealed the deal for his theatrical career. Um, giving him the shadow at the time would have, I, I assume at the time would have been a fairly big budget. Uh, you know, it's a potential tentpole and franchise comic book flick uh, after all these bombs was kind of a bold move of confidence on Universal's part, but even that underperformed. Um, he did do a successful Resident Evil film. Um, I think it was the third one in that franchise. Uh, but that was more about series momentum and brand IP than him, I think. Uh, though I do think that, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen any of those Resident Evil movies, but I think that's probably the best one, or at least the best looking one of the franchise. I don't really remember them all to to compare, but uh, the, the one one Mulcahy directed is pretty good. Uh, it's a low bar, of course, but, but he's a good director. Uh, all those movies have kind of a slick look and cinematic action sequences and that includes Ricochet too. I think it. I think he does a good job directing this movie. Yeah, I totally agree. It it has um, it has the 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 soundtrack. I know is it's what Alan Silvestri or something. Um, but yeah, it has that look and feel. And there's even like some three or four random actors who are in like Die Hard or Lethal Weapon movies. So there's like there has that going for it. So it has that it has that feel of a of a diehard, uh, got kind of gritty camera. It's not, it's not a glossy camera at all. It's got a little bit of a fuzz to it or something, but it's a little more B movie ish than diehard or lethal weapon, obviously a a smaller budget and whatnot, but you're right. I, and you mentioned two things I was going to bring up later on, but yeah, Alan Silvestri score. Um, he's one of my, one of my favorites from this era. And then, um, also some of the, the fact that it's, it's the Joel Silver, kind of uh, uh what's the word uh, not warehouse but uh <laughs> stable it's the joel silver factory stable uh, yeah stable of, yeah 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 of actors so yeah there's a lot of people you you recognize from from other things and in fact lots of a lot of a huge cast really of um that guy and that girl and and that sort of thing so it's a fun movie in that way too there's so much great shit in just the first 10 minutes of this movie. The, the movie opens with Denzel as Nick Stiles. He's playing basketball with his partner, played by Kevin Pollack, against Ice-T, who's named Odessa, or, or O in this movie, um, and his buddy R.C., a big dude and familiar face, played by Lindell M. Cheshire. Am I saying that right? That sounds right to me. C-H-E-S-H-I-E-R. Um he was in a lot of 90s movies like Cable Guy, Patch Adams, Airheads, Judgment Night. That's just to name a few. Uh, but what's funny about him is when I looked him up to see what else he'd been in, uh, his Google search pick under uh, Ricochet is a picture of Malcolm Jamal Warner. So I feel like he's probably not so uh, happy about that. Yeah, if you're if you're listening, Liddell, <laughs> or Lydell, maybe write a letter or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, after the game, Denzel sees Ice is driving a stolen car, and Ice says, same time next week, and Denzel says, I don't think so. Oh, I think our playing days are over. And Ice says, only on the asphalt, homeboy. Only on the asphalt. So, T is looking good. Young, cut, relaxed hair, cut-off shirt. <laughs> yeah, it's, they're they're both in, in kind of their, 
their prime. Denzel in this movie obviously is really uh, showing off physically, right. and he's not a, a young Denzel Washington. So the uh, director was smart to make sure there was as many scenes where his, he was in just his boxers or at least a robe with his boxers showing. Yeah, we'll get to the the, the sort of big <laughs> scene in a, in a second, but yeah, that that scene felt like just an excuse to <laughs> to get him into his. Yeah into his boxers and, and show off a little bit. But uh, there's some girls watching the game that they're playing and they kind of applaud at the end uh, when Denzel and Pollock win, um, like they already know them or, or like Denzel or whatever, but come to find out they're just meeting for the first time. The girls, girls watching the game to, I, I don't know how they decided to root for these two or why they're sitting there. But, <laughs> right. <laughs> but Denzel is into Alice played by Victoria Dillard. Uh, she's from deep cover best man coming to america internal affairs so she's got a, a decent resume behind her he tells her he's in law school and asks her out she resists even though she's obviously kind of charmed and into him um, i never understood this trope like if if you're feeling him just go out with him yeah. right like what what is it with these movies where some guys she's looking at him she thinks he's hot she's flirting with him and stuff like that and he's like why don't you why don't we go out and Saturday night? she's like i don't know i don't know about all that <laughs> right <laughs> what do you how else do you, how do you meet people? Yeah, know? exactly. You keep saying no, it's going to lead so. you nowhere. It's revealed uh, that at the moment, though, he's LAPD when Pollock pulls up in the patrol car. So uh, he's young and charming and on the rise to success. She gives him shit for wanting to be a lawyer. And he says stuff like uh, he wants to be president and he's auditioning for first ladies Saturday night. Uh, he writes her a fake ticket and tells her he's available for begging and pleading Saturday if she wants to get it fixed. Kind of a silly scene, but but it's cute, mm-hmm. I guess, and the two of them are good together. So, and like I said, he's charming, and and you can see why she'd be into him. Which, yeah, just just fucking go out with him, lady. What's right? The problem, you know. <laughs> he's a hot commodity. So, so hard out here for a <laughs> right a player. Yeah. <laughs> so we cut to Washington and Pollock patrolling a, a fair or a carnival or something on foot. Um, I there's there's a really funny scene that I took a, a screenshot video of. I meant to send you, and I. I, I forgot to do it, but right when that carnival starts, there, there's a band playing and there's this guy dancing to it and he's just doing the most ridiculous over-the-top dance moves for the song this this band is playing and you almost wonder if the director is just like, okay, dance, seem like yeah. you're into it, and then they <laughs> splice the audio in later on and it's it, it's like a background thing and a sort of, you know, blink and you miss it or whatever, but it's it's really very funny. I had to do a double take and I, I, I rewound the thing and did a did a video with my phone so if i remember later i'll send that to you is he standing by the stairs or something the guy he's like on the stage yeah yeah i suppose maybe maybe there's like a stair riser or something something like Um, that yeah (laughs) i don't know it's it's pretty weird um Denzel and Pollock's conversation is just an excuse for Pollock to do his Shatner impersonation, which (laughs) if you know anything about Kevin Pollock uh, and and he's got a Columbo one later on in this movie and everything. So (laughs) I remember even in 1991 thinking that must be why they casted him. him. Yeah. They, they gave him, well, I don't don't know if that's why they cast him, but what I, I think is, you know, he was doing that stuff. And so now he's in this movie and, and they're like, yeah, yeah, just, just, do something Pollock, you know, there you go. Or, or Pollock's like, can I get some in some of my uh, impersonations or the, the stuff I do in my standup or, or whatever. Yeah. And, and that's exactly how they plugged all that in. So <laughs> it's pretty funny, I guess, especially looking back on it now. Did, did he die a couple years ago? I think, I think I remember hearing he, he died. I always liked him. He was really good in the whole nine yards with Willis. That's right. Um, 
but I meant to look it up before we, we did this podcast, but I didn't do it. But I thought, I want to say like maybe 2016 or somewhere thereabouts. Um, looks like he's still with us. He's still with us. He's 65 years old. Oh, okay, good. All right. I wonder who that was. And somebody of that that nature, uh, kind of like him, uh, uh, you know, stand-up-y, impressionist, uh, supporting actor guy. I remember we lost. Uh, one thing I was gonna say about this movie though is all these people are still with us. Like I, I didn't Google every single member of the supporting cast, but the the three principal players: Washington, Lithgow, T, Lindsay Wagner, who we'll get to in a minute, um, Kevin Pollock now, and, and everybody I, I Googled to take a peek at just what's their name, what have they been in? Uh, Lydell, who I mentioned a minute ago, the, these guys are all still still with us and still doing stuff. So that's a Something you don't really see every day when you're looking at a movie from 30 years ago, and these people are already in their 40s. You know, all the all these people are are 60s to 70s, probably some in their 80s now, and um, everybody I looked up is still here. So that's, that's always a good thing. That's a cool, cool thing about this movie. Yeah, Pollock's the only one I didn't look up because I thought I for sure heard he he had died, but it's good to good to hear he didn't. Anyway, nearby to the, this carnival, they're they're walking and talking and and just kind of hanging out. There's a drug deal taking place. John Lithgow shows up with his hyperactive motormouth partner, Kim, played by Josh Evans. He also is, is still with us. <laughs> um, he's always saying shit like, this is your night, Blake. This is the night you become a superstar. Never going to forget. You're Earl Talbot Blake. And Lithgow's always like, would you just shut the fuck up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Lithgow in this movie, man, I don't know what, like, his hair is dyed this this weird uh, auburn <laughs> red and um just he's he's got a they got a gave him a fake eye for some reason and yeah um it, it's all crazy but it's it's great it fucking works he's awesome i don't know what what, are, what were your thoughts on, on lithgow i mean we'll obviously I, go through this whole thing but uh yeah just... i i totally love lithgow in this movie uh i i know that he's played played villains in other films and he does it well in other films but yeah this he's so creepy in this movie there's some genuine suspense to some of the things he does and that makes you you want to hate the bad guy and and also kind of think he's cool and and Lithgow fucking knocks it out of the park with this uh with this role agreed he's he's so good in this and more more so than I even remember um it, he he gets even more insane the following year in uh, Raising Cain which I haven't seen since it came out I think you referenced this on some other podcast we did, I don't know why you came up, maybe to Palma movies or something. But I think we were talking about the Twilight Zone but, with uh, with Lithgow in it, and we started talking about uh, that as yes. well. And I, yeah, I absolutely hated Raising Cain, but I only saw it the one time in the theater too, so I need to see it again. Yeah, I never saw it in the theater. I saw it on on video, and uh, that was that was pretty much it. I think I watched it the one time. I remember thinking it was suitably odd and whatnot, but. I never went back and watched it as an adult, really. That if that came out in '92, I was 14. Maybe I saw it when I was 15 or something, but uh, it, yeah, it was not not something that really stuck with me, and I ever felt the need to revisit. But it's got its its following, like a lot of those movies that are are kind of weird, and and then they sort of fall by the wayside, and then 10, 20, 30 years later, people all of a sudden like, hey, have you seen this crazy thing? And now all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, it's a an underrated master yeah but which which we're guilty of too i suppose but uh but we're right on everything that we say is uh underrated exactly. <laughs> should be given another look what, the, what the big 4-0 says is gospel <laughs> man <laughs> indeed peter indeed 
Yeah. So anyway, uh, Kim, his his partner, or whatever. I don't. What's what? What do you think the relationship is with those two? Like they're they're kind of a weird pair, right? Like Lithgow doesn't yeah. like him very much. That 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 guy is playing Kim as if he's maybe gay. I mean, they hang out at kind of S and M clubs and weird shit, but they they never really hinted a romantic relationship but later on when they're in prison kim's like i'm gonna get out of here and get a good job and you know you, you don't deserve to live in a dump and <laughs> it's just I, I don't know if it's hero worship on kim's part or if they are actually some sort of weird couple i i think the movie purposely is is not answering that sure. and playing coy with it and just leaving it as like a weird thing but but, uh, he kind of reminds me of goofy thing about this movie. Yeah, you know, like. <laughs> he kind of reminds me of uh, in those old Bugs Bunny cartoons where there would be like a big dog who was like the bad guy, and then there was that little dog that would always yeah. follow him around and and hype him up, and it was just he was just more yeah. annoying than anything, and kind of jumping around. So that's kind of what he is in this movie, <laughs> for sure. Yep, good good analogy. Yeah, that's it, it's a a funny character, and I remember thinking he was stupid and annoying when I saw this movie when I was younger. And, and I, I've seen it a million times. I bought it on VHS when it came out and watched it over and over and over again. And, and it was always the sort of the, the oddest part of this movie, which seems funny to say now because there's a lot of odd <laughs> shit in this movie and, and weird choices that the, the director or screenwriters make all to all for the, the better of the film. Believe me, I, I love it. But the Kim character was just sort of the, the big question mark. What was, What's the deal with that? But, right. um, Earl Talbot Blake is a great name. I, I I like that they gave Lithgow a three name sort of assassin, serial killer, yeah, homage yeah. name, <laughs> exactly. So uh, he says this job is the job that's gonna get him into the big time, and he just walks in and blows a bunch of dudes away, which is a pretty badass thing for John Lithgow. I mean, this is we're talking Harry and the Hendersons' <laughs> right. dad, you know here. So <laughs> exactly, <laughs> he. Uh, uh, we were talking on the Twilight Zone episode about how Lithgow is one of these guys who, even at what did we say he was in that movie, maybe 35 or something, but he already looked 50, <laughs> 60, whatever yeah. it was. And here they are trying to position him as a as a young man, I, I guess 40 ish or, or so. And and that's that's really all he was in this. I mean, he's 77 now. This movie's 32 years old. That puts him at you know, yep. 45 or something. So it's our age, basically. It's yeah. Crazy to, yeah. Essentially our age right. when this movie came out. <laughs> so Lithgow, you know, he blows away all these drug dealers and he, he doesn't know what to do, I guess, but jump out the window, which, which is kind of funny. So he, he does that. Denzel Washington is cool as a cucumber and, and all his dialogue with the gun on Lithgow. He gets the lines and he, he says stuff like, I'll have three in your chest and one in your head and back to the station eating donuts and doing paperwork by the time you pump your shotgun once or however he yeah. phrases that. And, and he says, I love donuts, but I hate paperwork. And so, so yeah, Lithgow, he, he jumps out the window. Washington pulls his gun on him. They have this confrontation. Lithgow grabs a girl, puts his shotgun under her chin and says, if Denzel doesn't drop his gun, her boyfriend will quote, need to put a paper bag over her head when he fucks what's left of her. <laughs> which, uh, which I must say is the, is the start of some, some absolutely brutally hilarious and also just brutal in general lines that Lithgow delivers in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I've, I, I wrote, I wrote a whole bunch of them down. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you did too, but that's just, that's the kind of movie this is. And that's the kind of movie you got in 1991 every once in a while. And <laughs> 
you aren't likely to see too much of now it is funny how i mean every once in a while you'll see a movie where somebody says something like this and it's just it's for just straight shock value and you're just like whoa i can't believe that but we forget that in the 80s and 90s especially in in say the canon era and so on this shit was just i mean this was like just fall out of people's mouths (laughs) like fucking candy i don't that's a that's a dumb analogy but you know what i'm saying like that that this was not considered weird or abnormal to see a movie like this and hear somebody say some crazy (laughs) shit like that it's just uh but yeah it it takes you back for sure so denzel's like i need you to trust me i got nothing on underneath no hidden gun not even a vest and starts just stripping down to his boxers and drops his gun which i mean it's it's a weird scene and to top it off he says the only weapon i got now is useless unless you're a pretty girl <laughs> so it's uh it's kind of funny seeing denzel in in a role like this because uh, especially now i mean he does he still does action but it's uh, he's the he's the quiet quiet type who just kills everyone in his path like a john wick type or something but yeah the Equalizer movies is what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. Denzel, he he already had won an Oscar, right, for Glory at this point? Yes, he did. Yep. So, yeah, so it's it's a little strange that he's dipping back into this. I, I don't know if this was thought of as maybe some big budget spectacular action movie that was going to put him on the map that way or, or what. Or maybe it was just that hard to get more quality sort of dramatic work after winning an Oscar for him, I'm, I'm not really sure. I'm not trying to slag this movie off, but it, it does seem like a bit of a step back for a, a Oscar winner who should be putting that, that leading man cachet into maybe bigger and better and more important movies, but whatever. Good for him. Uh, maybe he just was young and in shape and wanted to show that off in, in a movie before he uh, started doing stuff like Malcolm X and whatever. I, I don't yeah. know. But, Ma- yeah. Malcolm X was only a year but, later and he, uh, he certainly, his career as an actor really took off after that in terms of the movie roles he was getting, too. So Right, and he did go more drama and everything after that. So Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad we have this weird little oddity or, or curio in his... Uh, well, I don't know, that's not necessarily true. I mean, he did some kind of shit like Virtuosity in 95, and he, he would kind of kind of jump back and forth between action movies and dramas and sort of more populist stuff and then more cerebral stuff. So maybe that was sort of what he planned to do with his career all along. Um, make a fun, silly studio movie and then make the, the more important prestige pick. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. That, that kind of seems like where his head might've been at, at least in the nineties. Yeah. His formula um, certainly has worked for, has worked well for him. I mean, I know that his star is kind of, faded a little bit over the last 20 years or so but that's a pretty common thing amongst it's you know it's hollywood so yeah right i mean he's everybody has nobody is a a, a bankable just on your name thing i i would argue he's probably still one of our better bets you know you've got people like tom cruise and can't unfortunately really think of too many people who can even like carry a movie with just their their name anymore nowadays but uh, I, I don't know that anyone can. I, I think everybody's fallible, but I think he's still somebody that people go as much as maybe Tom Hanks or sure. someone like that. Yeah, I would uh, agree yeah. with that. Yeah, Hanks is still capable of a flop or whatever. But uh, in terms of people saying, "Oh yeah, the new so and so movie," you know, you've got. I, I think Denzel is still in the the conversation. People say, oh, "I want I want to go see the new Denzel movie." Like I want to go see the new 
Tom Hanks movie or the new Tom Cruise movie or or whatever. It's just it's a whole different. Everything's gotten so weird the last five to I don't know ten years, I guess, where none of that stuff means anything anymore, and it's all more about franchises and and stuff like that. So, yeah. So discussion for another day probably but uh, anyway uh naturally blake tries to shoot denzel after he drops his gun but denzel has a gun hidden in his boxers which is explained later as i have a little compartment in them which is really not a thing as far as i know but <laughs> <laughs> he certainly made one for himself didn't he <laughs> yeah I guess. Well, I, well, there's a locker room scene, uh, which we'll get to in a second. But he, I guess, he was wearing a jock strap underneath the boxers for some reason. I don't know. And then that's where the compartment is. But do jock straps typically have compartments? I, I don't know. I don't I, I've know never either. Worn a jock strap. I wasn't. A, I've never worn one either. <laughs> Maybe, played... but either way, it seems, seems yeah. funny that that he can fit a gun in there. But right. <laughs> I played football, and I didn't ever even ever wear a cup. So that was one of my dumber really? moves but yeah it wasn't required or anything the, the no i thought it would be so like yeah i thought it'd be required i got one and then they didn't make you wear them so i'm like thank god <laughs> <laughs> yeah i suppose i don't know i've, I've never never had the pleasure so I, I don't know but anyway uh so he's hiding this gun in his, his boxers he he pulls it shoots blake in the knee Blake pulls a knife. Denzel knocks him out over a hot dog cart. And the stuntman is the most obvious thing in the world. In this. Uh, <laughs> then Pollock rolls in with Kim and cuffs and says, nice work. And Denzel responds, yeah, I guess a Beretta in the butt beats a butterfly in the boot. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I liked that line. Um, and then a guy at the carnival is filming this whole thing. So Washington becomes something of a sensation. The DA played by Lindsay Wagner is, is all about uh, the good... Uh, you know, spectacle and convinces the chief to promote Washington and Pollock to detective. But of course the scene happens in the men's locker room with Denzel naked, uh, diving behind a locker when she walks in and saying things like, don't get dressed. You took your clothes off for the psychopath, keep them off for me. Uh, so, so one of those scenes. And meanwhile, Blake is sitting in prison with a bullet in his knee, obsessing over revenge, replaying the scene you know, over and over again in his head. And this librarian guy walks up to him and says, young fella, as if Lithgow is young once again. <laughs> yeah, <Right>. he's, <laughs> he's 45 in this. And uh, so what do, you, what do you call that guy? The, I said prison librarian, but I don't think that's right. I would. It's that's kind, that's kind of exactly what he is. It's like a mobile library that they yeah. would give books to yeah well anyway this inspirational prison book peddler is like so so what if you made a few mistakes don't you have anything to live for and blake sees a news report about washington climbing the ranks and is like yeah i do i just thought of something i could change a whole future and the book art guy is like yeah that's the spirit uh you want anything inspirational to read and blake's like yeah something heavy and the book cart guy is like, oh, Anna Karenina. And, but the joke is that it's a small book and Blake wants a literal heavy book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so the, the book cart guy says, says, well, it was his first book, which I guess is kind of funny in response to <laughs> something heavier. But right. um, anyway, Blake wraps uh, two heavy books around his leg and uses them uh, to bend his knee, which I don't get the medical science behind this. So you're shot in the knee. And uh, as long as you can just forcibly bend it down, you'll walk fine now. I, you'll I be better that. sooner. I didn't I didn't know if that was that must have been what it was, but I 
I didn't understand it then and I don't understand it now, but yeah, it's, it was like more than anything, probably just showing what a hardcore badass he is. I think maybe he wanted to get out of the infirmary or whatever. And so he could enact a, his, his plan of action or whatever, which I, I don't know. I mean, you just go to prison sooner, I guess, but I don't know. Yep. Like you said, I think it's just cause it's a, they thought it would be a cool scene or whatever, but. Yeah, as if the the fact that he's been shot in the knee is what's been keeping him from exacting his revenge. I I don't know. But... <laughs> right. <laughs> there's a there's a scene where Blake beats up his new cellmate played by Jesse Ventura, uh, just to show how <laughs> tough he is and should not be fucked with, and and now he's just like hell bent on revenge. So that that's pretty funny. I, I don't know. <laughs> he just like walks into his cell. Jesse Ventura is there and just punches him, knocks him out, and. <laughs> kind of takes over the cell. Yeah. Because once what again, 45-year-old he... <laughs> John Lithgow is, right. you know. <laughs> I forget what he says, like, go fuck yourself, cream cake, or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go fuck yourself, cream cake. <laughs> <laughs> There's a news story that says Washington has finished law school and will become the new assistant district attorney next week. So what's with all these news stories about Denzel Washington? I mean, since when does the news follow a cop's entire career just because he caught a caught a criminal at some point? Right. <laughs> even even in a sensational manner, it's it's pretty funny how Blake is able to keep up with Washington's progress based on all these news reports and articles that people keep just like shitting out about him. Yeah, there's a <laughs> There's like a People magazine cover in their house the, on the wall. I'm yeah. like, even People's doing an article about him too. <laughs> well, I, I can see that maybe, I guess, but it's just funny how he's on like Busted or whatever that, uh-huh. that cops ripoff show is. And and the news is like, oh, he'll he'll go on to become uh, district attorney next week. And then they're like, district attorney Nick Styles this week. And I, I guess maybe if you're just constantly doing newsworthy stuff i suppose that's a, a thing that would happen but i do think it's pretty funny that from prison he's able to keep tabs on everything he's doing because the news just keeps reporting on on his progress but. right <laughs> anyway kevin pollock does a colombo impersonation here uh washington grows a mustache i guess this is to show both his newfound professionalism and that time has passed i, I don't know uh, it's amazing how much difference the mustache makes though i was thinking how young he looked and at the beginning of this but then with the mustache he looks completely different uh, you know not necessarily old but but you definitely don't think of him as looking super young anymore i guess you could call it distinguished uh, sure that's, yeah that's what they're going for i'm sure by yeah. making him the uh, a da now instead of just a cop and now he's also a family man it's revealed that uh, he's since married alice uh the girl from the playground and they have a daughter and, and soon enough they have two. And meanwhile, Blake is fighting in prison and kills Jesse Ventura in a crazy Aryan nation sword fight in the cafeteria, which it's another one of these movies where the inmates apparently just can do whatever the fuck they right. want. <laughs> Make as much noise as possible. Like, yeah. Are there guards not here? It's not explained where the guards are yeah. this whole time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and where do they get these double ended swords? And right. Yeah. <laughs> taping phone books to their arms and yeah i got a bunch of phone books yep yep uh and so blake sees a picture of washington taped to ventura's chest and rams a sword through him and then the 
Head Arian says something like, a man needs friends to make a life here. And Blake says, I'm not interested in life here. And the other guy says, well, that can be arranged. Which <laughs> 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 is kind of a funny line. But but the guy really gets to finish it. And Blake goes, you asshole. I'm talking about life outside. And then they concoct this this plan to escape. Um, so And Kim is in the same prison for some reason. Still motor mouth and saying shit about how amazing he's like you're like the optimal samurai these guys are pussies but you you're earl talbot blake <laughs> and then he I, goes he goes oh you're bleeding and blake goes no fuck the nurse nancy shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah it doesn't even let him touch him or anything yeah <laughs> yeah oh blake you're bleeding no fuck the nurse nancy shit <laughs> whatever that means <laughs> I have no idea. And then he's like, you want to do something for me, kid? Clean this up and save it. Referring to this article, which he just stabbed a huge sword through and is like filled with blood. Right. He's like, go go clean up this picture of, of my buddy Denzel. Yeah. Like, get, get it clean somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we cut to a courtroom scene where Denzel is doing his best uh, theatrical TV lawyer impersonation, blowing away the jury with his uh, you know sober, earnest arguments and theatrics and making the defense realize that he's you know just too good. It's one of those familiar scenes where the defense is just like crumpling up papers <laughs> and putting their head in their hands. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, it's like those... Denzel's just coming off like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's like those local lawyer commercials where like they say, Oh, he went to so-and-so and then the, the other attorney's like, Oh no, really? <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> This is going to cost us a lot of money. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Dude, Peter, the best thing about this that I noted, this is at the 27 minute mark in this movie. <laughs> All this shit has happened in less than a half hour. Yeah. <laughs> which is which just goes to show what a bonkers movie this is. Oh, and while we're talking about it, this movie is a brisk hour 40. I mean, it it gets out and is uh Constantly fun and entertaining the whole way through, but I, I was almost surprised that there was still another hour plus left from this point. From what I remember, um, w- when they they break out of prison, it's a pretty quick jaunt to the end, but that's really only around the halfway mark, or, or not even halfway, half hour mark of this movie. Um, and there's still so much left to go and, and so much more crazy shit that, that happens. So the movie is definitely paced. Uh, I don't know. They, they get a lot in in a short amount of time. Yes, they do. moves from one crazy scene to the next it's it's awesome that's the i mean that's what you want from a movie like this before that though we have uh, grandpa and reverend john amos baptizing denzel's baby he's denzel's dad and a reunion with denzel and ice t after however many years uh, this is supposed to be now or, or present day i i don't know i think I think by the time Blake gets out of prison, they mentioned something like it's been seven years. I thought there was a line of dialogue that said something like that, which would make sense if he's up for parole and, and things like that. Um, yeah, they they did. Uh, at the beginning, they there's talk on the news about the about Ronald Reagan being in town for the 84 Olympics. And then there's something when that band is playing, saying something about the 1984 or something festival. So yeah, then it so then yeah, it's right. seven at, years later. At this point it's ninety one or present yeah. day, so uh yeah, seven. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, um he this is the first time we see Ice T after however long and Denzel has moved up the ranks. Lithgow sits in prison long enough for, for him to be eligible for, for parole. 
T is now running a full-on crack house uh, or a crack apartment, actually. And Ice T's theme song "Ricochet" can be heard playing muffled <laughs> coming from an apartment somewhere in this scene. Which that song uh, I really like, but it has, it has nothing to do with this movie. I think it was actually written for his OG album. Was left off there. I think there was some talk about it going on Home Invasion, or maybe it was written for Home Invasion after OG, and then they put it on here instead. I'm not sure exactly which. I actually reached out to Mr. Ice T on Twitter this afternoon and said. Uh, uh, I'm paraphrase here, but hey, Ice, random question. What's the deal with the uh, Ricochet? Uh, the, the lyrics obviously don't really have anything to do with the movie. Was it written for the movie or was it just a song you already had and coincidentally titled Ricochet? Um, he hasn't gotten back to me yet, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll update on the sure. next episode if he yeah. responds <laughs> about the origin. So. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> I bought this soundtrack just for that song it was not released as a single well i take that back uh, a little while later there was a uh, like a maxi single of that song in mind over matter released uh, which was from the og album which is why i think ricochet was intended for that but but anyway didn't exist yet so when this when the soundtrack came out i bought it solely for for this this one iced tea song there's a line in there where he says something um about how people want to know about him and the eldo which i assume refers to LL Cool J, and then he says, we squashed that shit with me and him about a year ago, but there's a new rule starting the night, diss me on a record, see me fight. So, <laughs> even LL Cool J, I think, had a little beef back in the in the day. I don't know what the what the problem was. or Yeah, I didn't hear did about what, that, but, but yeah. Well, well, on his uh, I'm the Pusher record from, from the, the Power album, there's that little thing where uh, he's talking to the, the street guy who's trying to buy his, his records or his, quote, dope, and he's mm. like, He's like, oh, man, I, I got to get me some more of that. What else you got in there? And he's like, I got some Public Enemy. And he's like, oh, yeah, keep that coming. He's like, I got some Karis One. He's like, oh, yeah, give me an ounce of that. And he's like, I got some of that L Cool J. The guy's like, nah, nah, man, you can keep that. So, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what happened with Ice-T and L Cool J back in the day. But but now they're out on tour together. So go figure. Oh, wow. I guess he, uh, they actually uh, did squash, squash that shit. Yeah. Yep, I just saw they played like Detroit and San Francisco and two shows in LA or something together. So that'd be kind of a fun show. Come here, I'd have seen that. Right? Shit. Yeah, for sure. Uh, anyway, you can hear the song playing. It's a good song. I like it. it. Has nothing to do with this movie though, at least not lyrically. Um, but I made a note about the score here about Alan Silvestri too. He's one of my favorite film composers of this era. If you look at his, uh, these composers are so crazy to me, man. Like they make some of them do four or five scores a year. Yeah, it's just it's insane what they can, they can churn out. And, and they're not, it's not even about like writing lyrics. They're writing entire scores to movies, right. orchestral scores for an orchestra to play. Uh -huh. I mean, it's nuts. <laughs> it is. You know? It is. It deserves a lot of credit. Yeah. I, I it just, and, and he, he's always been one of my favorites. Uh, Young Guns 2 is one of my favorite scores. And it's such a sweeping score that I, I just love as part of the movie. It's so, evocative he also did the predator score and um i mean he just he, he did a ton it would take forever to list them all but the score is good too but anyway denzel goes to see ice to ask him to stay away from his this new community center project that he's building um there, there's a building in south central la uh, it's a pretty great scene for ice he's got a lot of attitude and some funny lines uh, but he's he's sitting here going toe-to-toe -to -toe with denzel washington who as we know and as we just talked about would go on to prove to be one of our best actors and i'm not saying ice is Oscar worthy in the scene or anything, but he's very good and he holds his own with Denzel, which again is something of a feat in itself. Washington gets all street with ice and he has, he's good with the intimidating street talk too. And 
Uh, he's good at being the charming young cop and the inspirational lawyer and, and all this shit. So and he's got other stuff coming up. He's got to do, he's got to act like a junkie and a concerned family man and an action hero. <laughs> and he, he does all this shit, yeah. but, <laughs> but in, in this scene, he's got, he got ice sitting right there and just spitting dialogue back at him. And it's a convincing scene and a, and a funny scene and a tense scene. And um, it's, it's really good. And ice tea is, is killing it right here. Yeah, I, I had that in my notes uh, about the same thing that I. This is where you, you can tell Ice T can hold his own as an actor, and you know, for a fairly new actor, he he. Yeah, that scene is great. Yeah, and and it's not even as good as the the final scene, which uh, we'll get to when he when uh, Denzel brings his family for for Ice T to protect, and that's a nice little character arc too for Ice T from the what you think of is going to be a, just a real hoodlum piece of shit. Uh, you know, he's actually just a good guy. And again, much like the songs we were talking about and stuff, he says, listen, my, my man here just went a different direction and, but it's all good. I, I still, uh, yeah, I, I care about my, my people and then you're, you're safer here with me than with the cops. And um, it's, it's a really nice scene at, at the end of this thing. And, and Ice-T goes from being intimidating to funny to, to all this stuff in, in just a few sentences even. And, um, right. Some of that, I suppose, you got to give credit to the script, but uh, but he he does a really really good job with all of that. Yeah, and and it's not a role that's very far removed at all from his angry gangster persona. It's mostly all just like energy and screen presence on his part, and it's a smaller part than New Jack City, but it's just as effective. And frankly, as impressive as a debut is for a non actor uh, at that point that that I thought New Jack City was, though. Ice, Ice will tell you that hustling and rapping and being a criminal and all that shit he did prior to acting is in fact just acting, right? So, right. Uh, which is probably why it seems so uh, solid right out of the gate for a lot of these rapper turned actors to to be good and convincing because that's kind of what they've been doing this whole time. You know, you're always just putting on a front, and uh, if you're on the streets hustling, you're acting, and um, the only difference is it's in front of a camera with uh, with other actors. So. I think that's why a lot of right, there's a natural even... charisma. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And in a natural progression from if you want to make legit money at doing this, um, you know, you can't can't be on the street forever. You're going to get caught or shot or whatever. Yeah. Um, take take these skills and move them into something else. And for Ice-T, that was rapping and then acting. And uh, it's the same with a lot of a lot of these other guys. So I think I think uh, when people dismiss rapper actors is sort of just not not real actors i, th- I think that sure that's false i think they're probably the ultimate ultimate actors yeah exactly in of, <laughs> right in terms of being hustlers too it's the ultimate hustlers like hey just another way to make money baby whatever and that's why you got ac who even after some of his mainstream clout may have dried up he's like well I'll go make $50,000 making a fucking leprechaun movie. I don't care. Like, give me that, you know. <laughs> it's all hustle, baby. Right. So. And then, too, in terms of New Jack City, I I like him in that movie, but his lack of experience does show from time to time in some parts there. And it's nothing embarrassing. And, and like I said, it's an impressive acting debut, but it, it feels like a first go. And here, uh, in what's really just three scenes, he doesn't hit a false note. And he excels at the same stuff in terms of being commanding in the role and intimidating and funny and, and all that. And we'll talk about surviving the game, but this might be my favorite film performance from him. Um, I wish there was more scenes there. Uh, Trespass is another contender. Uh, I mean, 
actor DVD box set for Ice T. If you were going to make one of those four film box sets of his best shit, it's got to be New Jack City, Ricochet, Trespass, and Surviving the Game, right? I don't think there's any other definitely any other argument that you can make for that. Anyway, I was just wish there was more of his character uh, because the, this scene and, and the big one at the end, like I said, we'll talk about. Uh, it's just it, you just wish you could see a whole movie with this guy. But then again, maybe it's for the best that it's not. He doesn't never wears out his welcome. It never he never has a chance to really show the seams and the performance. And it's it's kind of perfect just how they how they do it with him here. So yeah, and as a as a kid, I was I was you know I thought it was so cool that you know T is sort of a bad guy in this movie at the start, but the, him and Denzel at the end of the day are kind of, they're kind of close. They've grown up together. So like he, he, his good side comes out and he helps him uh, when nobody else wanted to help him. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that as, as a kid, I remember thinking that that was so cool that Ice-T did that. And <laughs> Yeah. It's a little bit of a, a tropey thing. You know, there's always that misunderstood uh, bad guy or criminal or the, the, the guy the cop has to turn to and, and whatnot but this this movie does it very well as well as any yeah and ice tea again really really sells it and his his chemistry with denzel is is great they they work really well together and play off each other really well uh, i could watch ice t's three big scenes in this movie on a loop anytime <laughs> I mean. right i could i could watch this movie anytime frankly i forgot how much i enjoyed this <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely going to be rewatching this one. Then we get to the prison uh, parole board scene where Blake and his Aryan buddies bust out of prison. And this is a pretty gnarly scene. Um, that This movie has a little bit of kind of shocking violence sprinkled throughout it. And this scene is is the big one. Um, a lot of murders with power tools and <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the the uh, the saw blade on the cop's stomach is is quite jarring. Yeah. Well, and then a drill into the other one's neck. And, yeah. Uh, and Blake even kills the book cart guy <laughs> as they're coming yeah. out. So he's just, <laughs> just ruthless. The you know? uh, the lady who was in that parole board scene was the was the maid in Die Hard or Die Hard. I forget oh, what her sure, name is. In sure. The, yeah. What would I do yeah. without you? Something. I forget her yeah. name in Die Hard, but yeah. <laughs> Juanita, is that it? Yeah, yeah, yep. something like that. Yeah, that sounds uh, right. I don't think it's one. Yeah. What would I do without Shit. you? One, yeah, maybe it is one. Either. Yeah. She was also in the Three Amigos. <laughs> also in this movie, who I did not look up her name, but she did die a couple years ago. Unfortunately, is the uh, the girl who plays Gail Wallens on the news in Die Hard, and she's the shrink and lethal weapon. Um, she's in here as a, a news reporter. Uh, I can't think of her name off the top of my head. Yeah, well, she's in a bunch of Donner movies, but so's that. That captain yeah. or whatever in Lethal Weapon too. Yeah. He's, I think he was like his yeah. cousin or something. Steve, uh, sh- shit, I don't, I don't have my, my thinking cap yeah. on for these guys. But anyway, did you find out the name of the? I did, I did, and it was maid. not Juanita, but you were, you were close. It's Paulina. Paulina, that's right. Yeah, Paulina. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mommy's on the phone. <laughs> what would I do without you, Paulina? Yeah. Uh, so what is the name of? Well, now we got to look up the name of the other. Yes, right Steve uh, Kahan Steve or Kahan or something, wasn't it? Kahan, yeah. Kahan, yeah. sure. And then the the yeah. girl is, um, yeah, we we just lost her a couple of years ago, and Mary Ellen Trainer. Mary Ellen. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember seeing the name in the yeah. credits. 
Yep, she died in 2015. Cancer, I believe. She must not have been that old either, huh? Uh, 62 yeah. only, yeah. Pancreatic, Stephanie pancreatic Woods cancer, in 62. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, Ricochet, Goonies, Rancing the Stone, Monster Squad, Death Becomes Her. Oh, yeah, she's the mom yeah. in Goonies. Forrest Gump, yeah. Freaky Friday. Yeah, so again, the, this is a, a Silver Pictures production. Um, they, Joel Silver involved with Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, among, among many others. Uh, and then, like you said, Richard Donner brought her back in a bunch of movies, as he was wont to do with many of his stars. Um, Steve Kahn was in Assassins, and uh, Mel Gibson worked with him in at least three, four other movies other than Lethal Weapon movies. So, yeah, it's kind of a big, yeah. happy family there. All right. Anyway, back to this movie called Ricochet. <laughs> yeah. So where were they? Bust out of prison, and oh, one thing we squi- skipped over before we got to that scene: Blake is up for parole. An officer comes to get him and says, "The parole board's ready for you, Blake. I hope you remember to floss." And Blake says, "I did with your wife's pubic hair." <laughs> <laughs> yes. Another another one-liner that is just so yeah. jaw-droppingly brutal. Yeah. It's just a, another another line I remember growing up, and I'll never forget, and you're not likely to see in a movie these days. And like I said, you do. You get one or two of those where somebody's just trying to do it for shock value, but this is the kind of throwaway shit bad guys would say in movies all the time back in the 90s. And I mean, we just we had it we had it better back then, everybody. I don't know what the fuck to tell you. Yeah. Sorry. Well, even in his parole hearing, they say something like, what would you do if you get out of here? And he's like, well, I'd come pay you a visit at your home. <laughs> First, I'd fuck your wife, and then I'd fuck your daughter, and then maybe your dog. I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) Wow. Yep. Terrific, terrific lines and uh, terrific line readings from from, uh, John Lithgow. He's very good in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, and then, well, after he says the pubic hair line, the camera pans over to show hundreds of zoomed-in photocopies of Washington's face plastered all over the, all over Lithgow's cell wall so much like his go ahead and clean this up for me would you you can understand now why he, he wanted that and he's just he's completely obsessed with revenge uh yeah so he he breaks out of prison um he sets up one of the guys in the gang and and kills him and Kim had previously previously switched Blake's dental records with this guy so it looked like Blake was dead Blake even shoots a hole in the guy's leg for good measure. I, I got to believe that forensic science could have done a better job of determining that that wasn't him, but I guess I don't yeah. know exactly where we were in, in 1991 with all that, but <laughs> a little convenient. He did shoot him in the, he shoots him in the face too. And I would think that like they could tell, even if the body's burned, that it sustained a, I know sometimes they can tell, yeah. but I'm, I, like I said, I'm not a forensic guy, but I did yeah. wonder about that. Like did shooting him in the chin, <laughs> Do something. Yeah, I to... thought he shot him in like the neck or chest. Yeah, or the neck. Or, up, yeah, up top there. Yeah, because the guy stumbles back. He's like, yeah it's, yeah, it's all done in silhouette, <laughs> so I don't know where he, mm-hmm. where he shot him. But, but yeah, you're right. That's another another thing that would be a tip off. Unless unless it's just supposed to look like the the area. I think I think they make some comment like the Aryan gang double crossed him or or something like that. And the only way we could identify him was by the dental records and the the hole you put in his knee. So I suppose if, if it's set up to look like a double cross, shooting him wouldn't matter. And then the, like, I, I think it was just supposed to be an accident that the bookmobile or whatever went over the 
cliff and he died in a fire. I don't think that's what they're yeah. trying to suggest. I think they were trying to suggest that the guys he broke out with set him up and killed him. So sure, um, maybe it doesn't matter. But but anyway, Blake sets his plan for revenge in motion. First, sending Washington an anonymous ten grand to his community center uh, a telethon fundraiser, putting them over the top of their five hundred thousand dollar goal. So while Washington and his wife are at the fundraiser, Blake breaks into Washington's house by cutting the power and uh, posing as an electric company guy. Uh, the babysitter there with the girls lets him in. This scene, why would you make a birthday cake or, or a cupcake or whatever they're eating that the babysitter put candles in for, for him and sit around and, and, and eat that and talk with him and shit before the guy turns the power on? I mean, right. number one, who, who, who does the, the birthday thing anyway? That's That's a little weird. But let's say like you're just having such a great time with this power company guy, even though he's fucking yeah. creepy and whatever. But, <laughs> but, but you think he'd be like, why don't you go hit the fucking lights? Then we'll do this thing yeah. where we <laughs> stick candles in this cake for you and yeah. eat hot cocoa and shit. <laughs> We're not here to, That's... to mess around and talk about birthdays. Yeah. Fix the damn power. <laughs> Also, I'm a babysitter. This isn't even my house, and I got these two kids and whatever, but we're just going to sit <laughs> yeah. here and have birthday cake in the dark. That that was kind of weird. But mm-hmm. anyway, Blake leaves without hurting anyone. Uh, we find out later on he used the time to make a creepy video where he's standing over one of the kids with a hatchet, but I guess we'll we'll get to that. But uh, he and Kim kill Washington's investment partner uh, in the community center, a councilman played by John Cothran. He of Boys in the Hood, Black Snake Moan, Get Shorty, Spawn, Poetic Justice. Uh, this movie, like I said, is a who's who of African-American 90s supporting players. Uh, but they kill him and they hang him dressed in like a like drag or a S&M kind of leather outfit and plant a bunch of child pornography in his briefcase. They forge a suicide note that says he can't live with what we, implying him in Washington, did to those kids and uh, steal the community center uh fundraising money and this arouses suspicion around washington of course yeah that's all crazy shit Uh, (laughs) there's a uh i do well i do because there's an element in this movie and i know it's it's played to way more sadistic in more sadistic ways but there's a a parallel here to cape fear that i kept thinking and this actually came out like a month before cape fear but you got a guy who's trying to avenge the guy who put him in jail and doing everything he can to fuck with him and his family. And that's exactly what happens in Cape fear. But I, I, I like this movie more for, for multiple reasons, but I think Cape fear kind of wallows in, in the, in the uh, absurd with misery of the performance. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, that there, there's definitely a parallel there that I kept thinking about. Uh, which which makes for makes for a a good story because you're you're getting frustrated with Denzel. You're like, fuck, man, why can't anybody? <laughs> yeah, help well, him. That's, I, what, we'll get to it, it down the road. I, I did write it down, but as, as this movie goes along, as as maybe absurd and over the top, maybe this, a lot of this wouldn't realistically happen. They do make a good case for how. Oh, we'll get to it. We we'll get to it. But let's just say I I don't I. I do think that Denzel would not be able to explain his way out of some of this shit nope. that, that happens here. So Lithgow does a good job of, of setting him up and, and all that, how realistic it is and whether Lithgow could pull it all off. I, I don't know, but as, as it mounts up and you go, Oh shit, how's he going to get out of this one? And Denzel gets kind of crazier and crazier sounding, trying to explain himself. It's yeah, it's, it's appropriately frustrating because you know, it, it, he just looks like a fucking, 
nut job with with all the <laughs> stuff that he keeps trying to trying to float as a as the reason why these things are happening so yeah so yeah you're right like like it's like cape fear it's, it's a good good parallel but uh next blake kidnaps washington drugs him puts him in an emptied out hotel pool where he brings in a prostitute to have sex with him this is another weird scene while he's he's doped up on heroin um and and then he lithgow films it and splices in audio of a conversation washington had with a waitress a few days earlier making it sound like washington um is initiating the encounter and they drug him some more and then dump him in a park amongst a bunch of homeless people where he's found passed out and disoriented to get him to the hospital where, of course, he tests positive for heroin. Uh, Washington explains exactly what happened. And, yeah, here we go. This is kind of what I'm saying. But naturally, it sounds crazy, especially the part about it being Blake and him still being alive and out for this elaborate revenge. And, uh, yeah, I got to say, Blake's Blake's plot is a good one. He definitely makes Washington look look guilty and like he's full of shit. There's some good writing, or at least ideas, in the screenplay, which is credited to three writers, including uh, Stephen E. D'Souza, who is behind a lot of great action flicks, including Die Hard. And like we said, this movie is produced by Joel Silver of of Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, Last Boy Scout, um, which was the same year as we talked about last time on the podcast. So the the pedigree here is strong, um, but that said... A bunch of things don't really hold up to any scrutiny here. For instance, the pool, how'd Blake get it drained? It's it's sure. one thing if they were in an abandoned hotel pool, but when Washington takes the cops and the press and all this back to prove he's not crazy, the pool is full and there's a swim class going on. So did Blake have it drained and use it for a couple days and then have it filled back up again? And if so, yeah. there'd be some record of that with the hotel. Like they could exactly. easily go be like, yeah, <laughs> was this pool drained for three days or whatever? Right. Yet. There, there is a line of dialogue that that could substantiate Washington's claims. What happened? But they don't, they don't bother to yeah. look into that. I guess there's no cameras anywhere in the. I know it's the early '90s, but yeah, I mean, even hotels yeah. back then, some of them had cameras, and yeah, there would be a record of, unless, unless of all the other skills that Lithgow has, he also knows how to drain and refill a pool. <laughs> yeah, well, right. I mean, I, I could see him him using an abandoned pool. Um, mm-hmm. and I could see him potentially breaking into a hotel that he knows the pool is going to be drained or something, but either way that there's, there's a way to substantiate that, Yeah, you know, that <laughs> just go talk to a manager, I guess. But, right. um, also that video Blake makes of Washington having sex with the prostitute and, and splices the audio on it's, it's clear. He's not saying anything and it's also clear right, he's pretty well moving. out of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And and the girls, you know, the prostitutes' movements versus the way the the voice sounds on the tape right. that doesn't really add up. Also, there's ways they can check to verify if a tape's been doctored. So maybe we're thinking too much about it. But I'm just saying, if, if that that's what I was saying just a minute ago when we were talking about how, yeah, it, it, all this does look really bad for Washington. But there's obvious ways they could very easily prove that that's not. None of that stuff is is what was going on. But I, I like the switching tapes thing where uh, Kim swaps the video of Lithgow standing over the kids with the axe that I mentioned for a video of Washington having sex with the prostitute. And the, and then so Washington runs the tape to Lindsay Wagner thinking he can finally prove Blake is alive and tormenting him. And it's him having sex with some blonde and the tape is leaked to the press. And Washington starts ranting and raving and looks exactly like the lunatic Blake wants him to, to look like. It's It's a great scene and... Another aspect of Denzel's performance here that that I think is is really good, and 
uh, even more so towards the end when he starts acting nuts on top of that tower and rubbing lipstick all over him and trying to make Lithgow <laughs> think he's crazy and going to jump. It's it's all it's all really good. So yeah, the uh, the scene where they plant the video t- where they put the videotape in and he sees his kids and realizes that they're at a park. I'm pretty sure that's Denzel. I mean, the way he busts out of that house and like runs down the hill and runs down the street. Like that was, I, I like the camera work yeah. in that scene. I like the, like just the way he's running, like, like he could have wiped his, he could have wiped out pretty hardcore on that hill running down the hill, but he just then goes into this full sprint. I'm like, dude, he's, I just really liked that scene. I liked the, how like intense he looks in it, even with a pink robe and boxers on. Yeah. That's you know. great. Even with a pink yep. robe, yep, and his and his classic yep. boxers. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> then he then he tackles a clown. You got that kind of shaky, handheld, disoriented camera as it's as he's approaching the the stage and everything. Um, I like the scene where Washington is watching some TV talk show where where a black guy is shouting at the white guy, saying that Washington's a victim of you know a racist conspiracy to tear down any affluent black man. And the guy shouting is played by K. Todd Freeman, who plays Hank Azaria's partner in Gross Point Blank. If you remember, oh. Uh, that, I, that yeah, movie, I haven't seen it in a long time. Which, but, which is a great movie. Yeah. Well, he's he's hilarious in that movie, but more understated. But he's he's great at the way he delivers dialogue and lines and kind of a dry sort of wry way. But it was funny to see him freaking out like a like a real I don't know what the word is conspiracy nut type. But um, anyway, that that's funny. But then um, I it always confused me as a kid. Washington gets drunk and he's like talking to the TV as if he's on that show the the talk show he's watching where the guy so because it's like a call-in show right right? and i always thought it was this this thing where denzel was hammered and had called into the show and was talking to the guy but really what's going on here is he's just drunk and pretending he's having a conversation with the guy and the guy's the show is going on and and the guy's talking to somebody else but yeah it's a i i thought at 14 or whatever that kind of confused me but i i thought that was another good scene in this movie especially rewatching it now so I remember having the same confusion myself as a kid. It's a, it's a weird scene. I, I guess I just didn't understand what it was like to be drunk and sort of talk to <laughs> right. yourself or, or whatever it was. Yeah. But from here, it turns into a mission for Washington to clear his name. Uh, his wife doesn't believe him and thinks he's going crazy. The DA's office is building a case against him. Even Pollock is skeptical, though he helps him until Blake kills him. So uh, he even says something like, I guess I guess he must be alive. Otherwise, how he could have killed me? Right. So eventually, he has to turn to Ice-T and his gang of thugs to help him turn the tables on Blake. And that last half hour or so is just a zippy action pick. But the movie never stops throwing weird, interesting curveballs the whole time and uh, you know it's genuinely sleazy and and raw in some points and the violence is you know there, there's weird scenes this is definitely one of those movies you would not see in theaters today with mainstream actors it's more aligned with like i like i said an 80s canon movie or something um, a little more polished and professional but uh, it, it has some of those same sort of balls to the wall vibes as, as some of those death wish and uh, whatever some of these other Norris and yeah. that type of movie that we've looked at on this podcast. Yeah, so. I totally agree. It's uh, better. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. Uh, I mean, if if it was put out today, it wouldn't have any major stars, and it probably would just be like on Tubi or Amazon, like as a random Amazon movie. Right. That yeah, it it just has no. Or if it was a big movie, it with. Big stars that would not have any of this like wackadoo shit. Yeah, in, yeah. In, 
it would not be nearly as as weird and and pulpy and grisly and and that sort of thing so uh yeah different different time and like i said we got to talk about what i think is maybe ice t's best scene um denzel takes his wife and kids uh, so he can protect them so ice t can protect them when they go after blake and his dialogue in that scene is awesome he's he says something like she's like oh, i don't want to stay with these people and he goes oh the feeling's mutual or, or whatever but he's like <laughs> if you don't trust me at least trust my mean streak helping your boy here i get to fuck the police the dea and uh you know whatever else all in all in one shot and he goes trust me you're going to be cool here and he says rc take these lovely ladies and protect them with your life and and then him and denzel have a little kind of powwow about how denzel's like that's my family man and he's like you know but whatever ice t says rose for life or something yeah like that. something, something it's a yeah really good scene and yeah and then as the action ensues i see saying all this funny shit like uh urban technology ding and he's like <laughs> playing with cell phones and beepers and um <laughs> yep. and then at the end when denzel sets up john lithgow and he falls off the the tower which i guess is like some power tower he gets he gets electrocuted and uh, Ice T says, "I told that motherfucker we got the power." <laughs> it's just one of those lines where you just kind of pump your fist and go, "Yeah, yeah. right on." <laughs> and what does what does Denzel say? Uh, uh, you get the point now, or whatever. <laughs> you uh, gotta yeah. have you got gotta have a now, good you, Blakey. Or... <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You gotta have a great line after somebody dies. It's uh, it's the tried and true formula. One hundred percent. Yeah, it's this is a, a perfect eighties nineties action mm. movie. So uh, I don't know if you want to do stars now. I mean, I, this is, I, I don't know, I guess technically maybe a three-star movie when you take on the, consider that it's still just kind of a sleazy, generic, kind of lower budget action movie. But for what it is, this is a fucking four-star yeah. jam. And I, I, I'm going to watch it way more often than I, <laughs> than I do. Right. But, but I think on, on a normal level of just like, like good movie, you know, uh, reviewing at the time, whatever, I think this is a, a solid action movie of the time i i don't know why you wouldn't i could be i could see being put off by some of the stuff in it and maybe thinking it's a little too typical or sure. derivative of movies like it but even if i was a critic in 1991 i would give this movie at least three so it, it's a good solid example of the the type of movie it yeah is. and looking back it's even even better than that so no uh, siskel yeah, and ebert siskel and ebert gave it two thumbs down uh I didn't see any other reviews. I just saw it on the wiki page, but I, I totally disagree with whatever they said about it, just that it was too yeah. dour or too whatever. And yeah, I could see some critics being turned off by that, but I, I also don't always understand why they, if there's violence of any sort of extreme in, in these movies, in these action movies, they, they kind of get turned off by it as if there's some code they're breaking or something that, that that makes it less of a good movie or something you know what i mean like i don't i never i'll never understand right. why right why they why they feel that way when there's a movie that has some excessive violence in it but um <clears throat> i know it's not every yeah. movie well, critics like don't with, but... yeah i mean critics generally don't seem to like ugly like sort of nihilistic stuff they don't like when violence is played for titillation and, and things of that nature so that might have something to do with it also you got to keep in mind coming out of the 80s and, and being in the early 90s these movies were like we we're saying more more a dime a dozen so maybe there's just sort of a true fatigue with it and like oh here's another trashy low budget action movie that that trades in foul language and, and violence and, and other stuff and i don't know but 
like you said, there's there's good ones and there's bad ones and there's ones that work and ones that don't and ones that are memorable and ones that are forgettable. And sometimes it just takes a couple of years for these things to age. Like I said, now I see people talk about it and everybody who sees it mostly goes, man, I can't believe I've never seen that movie before or I can't believe I forgot how good that movie was or or whatever it is. Um, and then you got people like us who are always in on the ground for and it's it's nice to see too that a movie like this that I have liked hasn't aged poorly or I'm not just defending it because I've, always liked it i, I legitimately yeah. think this movie holds up and like i said i like it even even better now um that we don't have movies like this i think it's it's a better example of this type of stuff than than a lot of stuff out there so yeah i totally agree yeah it's um do you okay first of all i i i agree that it's three stars uh three star slash four star movie just like just like you um yeah totally agree with that uh, my my question for you is do you want to do like box office and top 10 at the end for both of them or do you want to do like this one and then go into surviving the game and what was going on that weekend um however you want to do it did you see this movie in the theaters i did i saw it uh, i believe opening weekend i saw it at mayfair theater with the old mayfair theater that was in the parking lot with my brother matt yeah and uh yeah (laughs) i saw it at like mill road or or Villard or something, something like that. But uh, yeah, I, I saw it in theaters. I saw it with my mom, if you can imagine that. I mean, <laughs> but that's the thing. We'd see all this shit back then and and didn't care and didn't feel weird. It's just what we did back then, or, right? You know, or what I had to do at least to see all these crazy action movies. And um, it wasn't there was nothing weird about it. But uh, and yeah, I'll be forever grateful to my mom for taking me all this shit. Uh, but I remember it very well. I remember seeing everything at this point i you know i was like a true action junkie i anticipated this movie and and a dozen other action flicks in 91 and 92 and um they were they were star wars or some shit to me i mean you know it's like oh yeah it's just what i was always waiting on to to come out and it was really in the thick of my action fandom at the time and i bought it on vhs i watched it over and over again uh, like a lot of movies from this time like i said i think it still holds up uh frankly better now I, i think like i was saying i don't know if i uh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think if I saw it more than once in a theater. I might have saw it a couple times actually, but I don't. I don't really remember. But anyway, the reason I brought all that up is if you're talking about doing box office, I'm trying to think what else I would have seen around the same time or might have been out at that time. I don't know how good I'd be at uh, predicting the box office for it. But if you have it, we can. Yeah, why don't I pull it up and I can. I'll drop some. I'll drop some hints. What's uh? What's Ricochet's release date? Uh, Ricochet came out on October 4th, October 4th of 1991. 99. Yeah. 1991. All right, here we go. The number one film, uh, was in its second week, I guess you would say. Um, and it grossed 6.1 million. It is a Terry Gilliam film. That'll be my first hint. Terry Gilliam Um, in 1991. Yeah. Is this a comedy or a drama or I would I would call it I would call it a comedy two? yeah. Yep, I would call it a comedy drama for sure. One of the one, the main I'll give you one act the actress in the movie without without giving up the two there's two male leads, but the actress in the movie is Mercedes Rule. And it's got two male big stars. Yes. Is this a 
like a Oscar player or a like a yes a, or a critically I believe it got nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think I know what this is. I, I guess I didn't realize. Nominated. I guess I didn't realize. Um, Terry Gilliam directed this. Is this the Fisher King with Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges? That is, yeah. Nice. Yep. Huh. Be correct. And that was the number one movie, huh? What did that movie make at the box office? Ultimately, was that a uh, hit? for total? Remember. It made sixteen million total. Wow, really? Okay, so not a hit. So not a great. Yeah. Oh, huh. right. Yeah. It's Robin Williams, mm-hmm. Jeff Bridges, and and one guy is yeah. he's like a he's a bum or kind of crazy or or both or what's the what's the plot yeah. of that movie? I've never seen it. It's I I only saw it once. I don't remember much about it other than yeah, Robin Williams is is homeless and meets Jeff Bridges, and I don't I couldn't tell you anything more about uh like <laughs> what was going on in the movie. I don't, I don't know if they're friends, if they're rivals. I can I don't remember much. I just remember <laughs> it being super weird and, and kind of long and, and boring. And I only watched it once and okay. don't even know if I finished it. I think I did, but yeah, I, I think I saw it maybe back at the, t- like it's one of those things that like maybe my grandparents rented and I never actually sat down and, and watched it with them or anything. So uh, it was like, <laughs> yeah. on as I was walking in and out of the room, but yeah, I have no idea if I, if I saw that or not, but all right. Yeah. Fisher King hadn't thought about that in a while. Some of these movies I haven't even heard of, so we'll have to work together on the on some of these. But uh, number two is the aforementioned Ricochet pulled in. Okay, open number two. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, pulled in four point eight million on its way to twenty one yep. million. Twenty one million domestic. Twenty one domestic ultimately? and twenty seven worldwide. That's what I thought I saw. So that's, I mean, I, that's not a huge hit. And even now, that would only be maybe even if you double it, forty million or something. But 45 yeah. i don't know what the rate of inflation is for it now but uh so that's that huge but i'm guessing its budget had to be fairly low right i would think so yeah would it say on there i think the budget was seven million if i remember correctly and then it made 27 or 27 worldwide um the fisher king i see here made 41 Point seven eight nine million dollars. Jesus. Okay. Um. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Oh, so you know maybe... what you're probably doing? Where it says total gross, I yeah. think that's the total gross up to that point. Oh. So okay. If yeah. All right. Okay. Never mind. My fault. All right. I'm not looking. I'm not looking at the uh, the top ten. I just no. You're good. Clicked on the uh, the Ricochet link. But anyway, okay. All right. Go ahead. The number three film is a. What, so Ricochet's number two. Yeah, Ricochet's two. Number three is a uh, a drama slash suspense film with Goldie Hawn and John Hurd. Yeah. Uh, oh, I know this movie. I can picture the box. She's. It's got like she's like at a door uh-huh. coming around like a black wall or corner or something, yep. right? What the fuck? It's got like a really generic like disturbed or very close. Like, yeah. Uh, d- d- God. Um. Uh, fuck. I never saw it. Um, I watched it once. It was man. This is in her yeah. like. Is it good? No. It was. I remember it being pretty underwhelming. Uh, what What is that called? I can picture the box. I can picture like the the word kind of in big thin letters. I guess. Uh, fuck. What? Yeah. De- Deception. Close. Even closer. Yep. <laughs> Deceived. 
What did I say the first time? Ah, oh, deceived. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember. I remember that existing. I do not remember ever having seen it. So. Yeah. It made twenty-eight million uh, total in the box office. It made four million that weekend. Um, number four is um a. I almost said the name. <laughs> <laughs> I will refrain. <laughs> Jesus. Um, uh, the number four movie is a football movie. Uh, it's a comedy. Okay. Uh, it's a college football movie. Oh, Necessary Roughness. Yep. Yep. That was in its second week, which I had also seen at Mayfair the week before. It must have. Um, that went on to make twenty-six I didn't see that million till, in the uh, box office. Years later. Video. I don't think. Yeah. Well, yeah. not years later, but probably later that year or the next year or something. So it wasn't one I wanted to rush out and see or anything. And Sure. But I saw it eventually. All right. Number five is a, uh, a movie that we mentioned um, when we did the Easy Money podcast uh, due to uh, Joe hmm. Pesci being the star. It's a new movie. Oh, okay. Let me think. Yeah, let me think. 91 for Joe Pesci. Uh, my Cousin Minnie's 92. So the super? Yep. Bingo. Nice. Yeah. Super I like that movie okay. That weekend. Yeah. That's another one I of those movies it. where I, I, yeah, I bought the VHS because I was buying previously viewed VHS. Like if it was like four ninety nine or something, I'd have bought it if I even like halfway liked a movie back then and uh, just beefing up my collection and shit. And yeah, I, that one, it, it's fine. It's, it's very much of its time and kind of predictable schmaltzy movie, but there's funny stuff in it. Yeah. It's another movie kind of like we're talking about where, you know, the urban culture, the plight of the, whatever you want to call it. I don't want to just say African-American, but it's, he's the slumlord who owns this building and he kind of thinks these people are all just animals and whatnot, but then he grows to like them after he has to live in the building with them and, and realizes what they're going through and stuff. And so in, in those respects, it's, it's a good movie, nothing groundbreaking or shattering, but um, a fine watch. Pesci's good in it. Okay. Number six movie is a movie I've never heard of, and it doesn't give much, um, doesn't give any box office, or it does give box office details, but it's a Walt Disney film. I'm just going to say what it's called because it doesn't list any cast or anything. Um, it's called Paradise, and I have no idea what oh, that is. It, is. it doesn't even say what week it's is in. It maybe, is it maybe just like, a, um, I don't want to say IMAX, you know, like one of those like nature things? Yeah, or, I could have, um... yeah. Google it. Been. Yeah. All right. I, the name sounds a little familiar, and the fact that it's number six, it must have had some sort of marketing budget or or whatever. Yeah. But it went on to make um, twenty one million in the box office, or eighteen million. I mean, that's still pretty good. It it rings a bell, um, and it being from Disney rings a bell too. But I just can't remember if it was like a documentary type thing or if it was more of a um, like an actual scripted right. film. Man, if you search Paradise movie, it doesn't <laughs> even come up. There's a 1982 movie and a 2023 movie. This movie's like lost to the sands of time. It's crazy. Good God. What year? 1991? Yeah. Paris 1991 full movie. Oh, sure. This is Don Johnson and Melanie Griffith. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Can't believe it made that much money. Oh, yeah. Well, it didn't really make that much. What did you say it tapped out at? Eighteen million. I mean, that's not that's nothing great, but for a 
obscure little movie like that. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, I mean, who knows? The marketing push might have been harder, and especially with the two of them being a couple, maybe they tried to sell it on right. that. That's not the only movie they did together, right? They did a couple back in those days. Right. Yeah, they were married at the time, I think. The movie is literally lost to the sands of time, though. Like, I, I pull it up, try to pull it up on Just Watch or, or whatever, and mm-hmm. it doesn't even come up. So it's not streaming anywhere. Okay. Especially for a. Especially for a Disney movie, you think it would just at least be on like Disney Plus or something, but right. Oh wait, here it is. Uh, it is free on Hoopla, and you can rent it for three ninety nine on the majors like Apple TV, Amazon, YouTube, Vudu. You can buy it for. I mean, I don't know if you want to spend seventeen ninety nine on it, but that's how much you'd get it for on Amazon or or Apple TV. So. Uh yeah okay well we've probably spent enough time talking about that movie what's uh... <laughs> yeah <laughs> what are we up to six number we're on seven now um number seven is yeah. a enigma of a movie that we discussed in the last Boy Scout podcast that it's in its thirteenth week and somehow still in the top ten yet it only made six million dollars in its run it is featuring what a professional wrestler. <laughs> An enigma yeah, of a movie. <laughs> oh, oh, right, yeah. right. I, I thought it was like Mr. Nanny, but it turned out to be the one with Christopher Lloyd, uh, Hulk Hogan. What the fuck? Yeah, Suburban Commando. There you go. Yep. Somehow still hanging in there. One point nine million in its thirteenth week of release at number Weird. seven. Weird. What the fuck is with that movie, man? It's just like making. I don't know. Like a million dollars a week for no reason and. That's yeah, enough to hang around. Right. <laughs> Man, parents must have been bored looking for something to take their kids to. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Uh, All right. Number eight. Let's finish out the top ten number... here. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Number eight is uh, is the 1991 Friday the or th- er, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I don't know if you know which one was in '91. <laughs> I do. That's Freddy's Dead, but that's a there hell of a go. clue. You're just trying to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was just trying to finish out the top ten in uh, in a more rapid succession. It was at this point it was up to okay, thirty million dollars. <laughs> it was up to thirty million dollars. Really? Uh, ended up. Yeah, that's pretty good. I thought that movie was total. considered kind of a flop. Yeah, yeah. thirty four total. That's pretty well, that's, good. That's good. I I always thought that was considered a bomb. So, um, well, I mean, maybe that was. I don't know what the gross was of the one before and before right. and before. Maybe it's diminishing returns, but. Uh, that's, that's gotta be like, I don't know, at least $60 million in today's bucks. Right. Right. Um, it was probably a budget of fucking nothing. Right. They just rolled out Robert England and had themselves a hit. Yeah. Huh. (laughs) Interesting. Um, number nine, number nine has no cast information. It's a new movie. It's from universal and it debuted at number nine and it's called shout. And I have no idea what. <laughs> what do you mean, no cast information? <laughs> not on the uh, not on the numbers thing. There's no there's no cast information at all. Isn't that a John Travolta movie? Uh, it could be because it says it's a romance drama in the '50s. So I bet you I bet you it is something like that. Uh, Shout is a 1991 film starring John Travolta. Oh, yes. look at you! Yeah, never heard of that. Heather Graham. Oh. 
I never, I, I have heard of it. I remember when it came out. I remember it at least like seeing previews or whatever. Like I said, I was just devouring fucking everything at that yeah. time. But I don't remember seeing it. It probably looked really stupid to me. But Heather Graham's in it. Gwyneth Paltrow's in it. Uh, Linda Fiorentino. Wow. Here, here is the plot. A stranger shows up in Texas town in 1955. His name is Jack Cabe, John Travolta. And he's been hired as the music teacher at the Benedict Boys' home. Before long, he's upsetting the institution's state atmosphere by giving his students a premiere, uh, sorry, primer in rock and roll. Cabe's fresh approach captures the interest of local misfit Jesse Tucker, James Walters, but earns him the rancor of <laughs> school bigwig Eugene Benedict, Richard Jordan. As his profile rises, Cabe risks exposing a secret from his past. Ooh. Um, yeah, it's a musical romance. It's an hour and a half long. It's rated PG-13. I don't know, man. It doesn't look like anything I'd care too much about. But I do remember this video box and poster yeah. and stuff like that. So, yeah, if you'd, have had the, if you'd have given me his name and maybe musical romance, I might have put the name together. I don't know. Maybe not. But anyway. Okay. Where are we at? We got one more here? One more. And it is a, uh, it's in its fifth week. It is a Kenneth Branagh directed and starred film. Oh, uh, Scissors. No, Scissors is the Sharon Stone. This movie's about Scissors. People are murdered with Scissors. Yeah. Black and white a lot. Dead again. There you go. Dead again? It's dead again. Yeah, (laughs) baby. Nice. It uh, went on to make 38 million. Love me some 1991, Kenneth. That's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. Shit, Especially really? for that weirdo movie, right? <laughs> I I kind of remember liking that movie. Did you like that? I, think I did. I yeah, did I saw it that? once. Yeah, I saw it once. I liked it. I remember the uh, Andy Garcia character smoking a cigarette through his trach hole or whatever. Um, Ooh, I don't remember that. Yeah, that's like the only thing I remember about it. Other than the scissors, I do remember. I think Branagh is killing people, and maybe he falls in love with Emma Thompson and tries to kill her or something. I don't remember. It was a long, long huh. time ago. Uh, let me go back to Freddy's Dead for a real quick minute here, just because uh, that movie's considered kind of a flop, and it put the the franchise dormant. Well, it wasn't that long. I guess they went to New Nightmare in 94, but that was kind of like a meta, whole different thing. But this movie, uh, according to Wikipedia, I'll just rattle it off real quick and not try to do my own version because we, we're running out of time here. But... Freddy's Dead Final Nightmare made $12.9 million its opening weekend, which was the highest opening weekend of the series until the release of Freddy vs. Jason, and the biggest September opening at the time, ranking number one at the box office. In its second weekend, it made $6.6 million and remained in the top spot before falling to number seven in its third weekend. So it obviously crashed. After its initial run, the film grossed $34.9 million in the United States and Canada, making it the fifth highest grossing film in the series. Now, I guess I understand that it's the fifth highest grossing in the series, despite uh, I don't want to say record breaking, but despite all these big things I just said about it uh, initially, uh, but thirty-four point nine million on a nine to eleven million dollar budget is still nothing to scoff at, yeah. Especially in nineteen ninety-one. So it, like I said, I'm guessing it takes it more to like seventy-ish million now. Uh, so why this movie is largely considered a failure, I'm not really sure, unless it's just that fans don't really like it. I think a lot of people don't, but anyway, I just want to get that out there. I'm not like a huge defender of it or anything, but I just thought it was interesting that sure that we made a lot, a lot more money and did a lot better than I thought it would. Okay. Surviving the game, Peter 
April 15th, 1994, director Ernest Dickerson. Ernest started as a great cinematographer, essentially um, pretty much Spike Lee's go-to guy. And then yeah. he branched out on his own. And he, he made a whole bunch of movies in, in the 90s of, uh, I don't want to say they're all kind of like urban action movies and stuff, but that definitely kind of became his his thing, right? His stock and trade. This is the guy we're talking, he did Bones yeah. in 2001. I guess I'm kind of working backwards here, but let me think what else he did off the top of my head. Demon Knight, the Tales from the Crypt thing. Oh, yeah. With, uh, who's in that? Jada Pinkett, William Sadler. Dennis um, Miller in that? Billy Zane. Uh, no, that's Bordello of Blood. Oh, sir. Bordello that's of Blood. Okay. Sequel. Shame. Shame. Yeah. Sorry, dude. <laughs> and uh, Bulletproof with Adam Sandler and Damon Wayans, which I believe uh, <laughs> we saw together, if I'm not mistaken. We did. Back yep. in 96. Yep. Yeah, yep. and, and a bunch of others. I mean, he's he's a good. Did he do Diggstown or something like that? He's I should he did Juice in '92. Juice is the Juice one I was this, thinking of yeah. too. But yeah, so great director. This movie uh, for a guy who is both what I just said a, a I think a good director and a, a great cinematographer. This movie looks great. I think it's well directed. I think. The cinematography is good. Um, yeah, I don't know what what did you know? You said you'd never seen this one before, right? That's so. correct. This was uh, this was my first time, and and I yeah I, I agree with everything you said about the way it looks, and I love the I love the you know the Washington locales, and uh, and and I like you know, and we'll get into it more, but I I definitely think that Ice T is holds his own as a as a lead character and they don't try and make him like steven seagal but he still is badass enough to to fend for himself but yeah uh let's let's get into this cast this is a great cast and they're all doing uh their persona best shit in this and i don't, I don't know what i mean by that but like the, all these guys like okay you got you got ice tea you got rucker hauer you got charles s dutton you got john c mcginley you got gary Busey, you got f murray abraham you got this kid, William McNamara, who we'll talk about in a second here, because although he's sort of the, the one most people don't know, or maybe even kind of the weak link in the movie, um, I got some interesting stuff about him. But anyway, if when you think of all these people and you think of what you kind of know them for doing, these guys are all going to fucking 11. Um, <laughs> yes. I want to say, and, and I don't want to get too far ahead of it, because I'll, I'll go a little bit in order, kind of like we do with Ricochet and how the plot plays out. Although this one, I just have more like, Cliff's notes. I'm not going scene by scene, but fucking Gary Busey in this movie is amazing, and I I feel like every time I watch Gary Busey, I'm always kind of like Gary Busey's amazing, or man, he's good, or or whatever. And I know he's kind of crazy and weird and kind of a joke now, but this may be there there is a scene in this movie where he tells a story and how he got the scar maybe maybe the best storytelling scene i have i I mean in terms of like a monologue i i don't know man i would put this shit right next to um the true romance thing with hopper and uh oh yeah uh, with walking yeah walking yeah, it is so fucking captivating, and, and Busey is acting his ass off. I mean, we'll get to it, but it's just it's just his natural the way he acts, and it's and it's so good. But yeah. um, 
But anyway, the cast in this movie is is fucking bananas. I, I just to, just to think this is considered a low budget. This movie cost seven and a half million dollars or something like that to make, and that's that's including paying all these right. people. <laughs> that's it's fucking crazy. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like it's an an embarrassment of riches in terms of just the cast right right off the bat. Oh, they're all phenomenal in it. Yeah, like you said, they're all they're all their personalities up to eleven. Even even McGinley, who I, I've always been a big fan yeah. of, I, I think he's got some very I, yeah. I don't want to get ahead, but yeah, he's he's got a really good scene in there yeah. too that I found to be uh, different than any of these other movies that just go formula, formula, formula at all times. Like there's actually some yeah. dialogue in this that has meaning and has and there's feelings that are approached even in the in the bad guys of the movie no i agree and i i love mcginley uh i always have and he's maybe the only one who's not doing his what what he kind of became known for like it's there you can see it and he, yeah. and he talks and acts the way he does in say scrubs and stuff like that but this is not the sarcastic kind of jovial fuck you sort of I don't know what you call a guy like like yeah. John C. McGinley, but definitely sarcastic. But but it's there, and and he's got that same energy and that, that yep. same intimidating quality and and all that, and and it works really well. Uh, William McNamara, this William McNamara kid, uh, was in a movie called Chasers, the same year with Tom Berenger, Erica Laniac, and it was directed by Dennis Hopper, where he played a, a military cop on the run for something, or or Laniac was on the run and he decided to help her. Um, it was a comedy with, with the most memorable thing being the sex scene between him and, and her. Cause there's some nudity in it. But the funny thing about that, Busey was in that movie too. And it opened like a week after surviving the game. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> this William McNamara kid has, has two movies on the marquee at the same time, Gary Busey. Um, and they, they both flop as well. We'll get to unfortunately, <laughs> right. but I don't. I don't remember talking about Chasers, but I do remember I saw Surviving the Game in the theater. Love the shit out of it right from the get go. Again, another one I bought as soon as it came out. Watched it over and over again. I can't believe you never saw this one before. I can't believe we never watched it at some point. And also, it was. I remember being like kind of a TNT staple at some point where I I caught it on mm-hmm. TV quite a bit and things like that. So I don't know. Well, if since you've never seen it before, I guess we'll go to our usual. Uh, what did you think, Peter? Oh yeah, yeah I. It's a uh, absolutely entertaining movie. It it gets it all in in 90 minutes. It never overstays its welcome. It's like I said before. It's got some some very good dialogue in it and and some really uh, cool scenes. And I like the I like the uh, a lot of the, so there's a lot of like kind of crazy camera angles where like Busey running out of the house with the knife suddenly like yeah. just shit like that like or uh, when Rucker Howard turns and, and there's Ice T's face in the dark with his face darkened and I'm like, whoa, yeah. dude, that that was cool. I liked that. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. uh really entertaining movie. I, I'm really glad I saw it. That's good. It's great to hear. I, I also to to that point, the one scene I always liked or the one that always kind of made me jump or surprise me or whatever, where I won't say which character it is, but the guy's like, Oh, what are you gonna do? You sh- gonna shoot me? And then Howard's like, yeah, and then the guy turns around, and then Howard goes, I lied, and he points. The camera swings over to somebody else and shoots him, and that's just the kind of like fun shit 
in this movie. Yeah. And, and you know that guy is probably going to die or something was going to happen there, but it, it really was just surprising. It doesn't, doesn't matter who killed him. It doesn't mean right. anything or, or anything like that, but it's just the little little surprises, little nuances. And and kind of like Ricochet, this movie has moments where it's it's kind of your basic action movie for a while, but then all of a sudden there's something shocking that happens or there's some some gore that, you know, like uh, Charles S. Dutton's exit, for instance, is just yeah. a little unexpected and, <laughs> yeah. you know, over the top. And I really appreciate appreciated all that and, and kudos to Ernest Dickerson. And again, we'll, we'll kind of get into what happened with this movie, but it's a shame it wasn't a bigger hit and uh, for, for all involved, because I think there's a lot of really good shit in here, particularly for Ice-T. I got a whole thing here about what I think the tide may have turned for him if this movie was was a bigger hit, but... I won't get ahead of it. Anyway, Ice plays a homeless guy in this movie. Um, he's got kind of a mysterious past about what happened to his family. They they died. Charles S. Dutton offers him a job as a guide. He's He and his partner do these wilderness retreats and hunts. And he said they're, they're looking for a guide. So Ice has to go see Charles's partner, played by Rucker Hauer, who gives Ice the job as a hunting guide to help him and his rich friends with their hunt in some remote mountain up in the Pacific Northwest. And it turns out they actually hunt humans and homeless people are their, their victims of choice because they no one's going to miss them. Yeah. And uh, all, all the scene setting stuff with, with Ice at the beginning, the day-to-day homelessness, losing his dog and his friend, how they eat, how people treat them, going to that uh, you know shitty hotel when he gets 20 bucks. And it's, it's all maybe in the first like five or 10 minutes of this movie, but it's really effective table setting. All really well done stuff. Ice Deep plays it very well. Oh yeah, totally. It it uh, in terms of storytelling, this, this for a, a a movie that I thought was going to be one way, it 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 definitely was was different. It plays out differently, and the and the way they tell the story is very is very cool and very unique to me. And I yeah, it's it's a, it's bewildering a little bit why it. Why it didn't? I mean, me, me as an example. Why didn't I see this movie? I don't know. I have no idea why I didn't see this movie. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I don't know if maybe it was the marketing or what. I mean, I was certainly aware of it, but like I said, by this point, I was gonna see anything Ice T did. And, sure. Uh, but I also I, the the cast is stacked. I, I was aware of Rucker Hauer and certainly Busey from everything from Lethal Weapon to Under Siege to Point Break. I mean, he's just knocking them out at that point. And, and the concept looked good. Now, I will say this came out only about a year, not even a year after Van Damme's Hard Target, which kind of recycles some of the same plot, which is the, the this group of hunters, you know, hunt homeless people. Uh, but that movie's completely different. Like Van Damme is investigating them and it takes place kind of in the bayou and there's a lot more just like cop stuff and big city stuff. It's not not like this movie at all. But uh, this this most dangerous game sort of scenario has definitely been milked in many movies and, and who knows, maybe it was one too many right next to each other. Right. Maybe just enough people don't care about ice T as a leading man or, or all these guys that we're sitting here going, man, can you believe that cast? They're like, well, I'm not going to go see the new Rucker Hauer movie or the new Gary. Like, <laughs> right. They're just not enough to, to open a movie on their own. So yeah. Who knows? The reviews weren't all that good, which I don't quite understand. I remember watching it on Siskel and Ebert. I think they split the vote. Uh, if I'm correct, I think... I don't remember which one. Ebert probably liked but, it. 
Yeah, yeah, you'd think, but it might have been Siskel every once in a while. He surprised you too. They split on trespass too, I think. Like one of them. Oh, did they? Like that more than the other. And but they were all like, like they were both like right there on both of those. They're like, well, yeah, it's fine, but I'm not recommending it, so don't you know bother even trying to like convince me. But I'll <laughs> I'll give it props for the stuff it does right. I think I think it was Siskel who liked this one actually. And, okay. Uh, either way, anyway, yeah. So that's that's the kind of. Kind of thing that was going on with it, and I think it just was sort of this movie that people were like, "Well, you know, maybe I'm interested in that, but I'll catch it when it comes to video or something." Nobody was like rushing out to the theaters to see it, so. All right. But yeah, I I like everything that happens with with Ice T in this. I like how you know Rucker Howard's like, if you can run on this treadmill for 20 minutes, being a smoker and a homeless guy and everything, I'll give you 20 bucks. And Ice T says man, for 20 bucks, I'll run to Alaska. And he does it and he takes his 20 bucks and he buys a somehow a room in a motel for a night, a shitty bottle of whiskey, some razor blades to cut his hair, all this stuff. And it just, it it, it really does a good job with the details of the Skid Row type. Yeah, destitute. Yeah, yeah homeless day-to-day stuff. Mm-hmm. And and there's some, some good emotion in there too. You know, when his dog dies and then his friend and it, it does a good job of, getting to understand why this guy would be desperate and um, you know, and he eventually tries to kill himself and Charles Stutton saves him and says, listen, if I could just give you a good job, a real job, and he seems like this guy who really wants to help. And then it just turns out he's a rich piece of shit in bed with a bunch of other rich pieces of shit who hide, uh, or sorry, hunt um, homeless people. And he thinks he's getting this great job. He's going out to the wilderness and he's trying to help out and be this guide. And next thing you know, well, before we get to that, so so they all sit around and have dinner, and there's this scene where all these people are sitting around the table, and you start to like learn their personalities, and I thought that was a really interesting scene, well written, yeah, way to go. Best about scene of the movie, them. yeah, in my opinion, yeah. that's the that's the best scene. It uh, also I got to give props to to F. Murray Abraham because this was also kind of a I don't want to say I know his filmography, but it sure sure seemed like something different than what he was normally doing. Like he, I know he was in like. Amadeus, I think he won an Oscar for, yeah, for that. Yep, and, he did. Um, you know, you kind of think of him as more of a not an art house kind of guy, but just more more serious type, like a role. thespian. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's what's so crazy about this movie's budget and everything. It's it's seven million dollars, but you got all this talent on the screen and everything. So what the hell? Are, you know, right. I, I don't I don't know how they kept the the budget so low unless these these guys were really just at this point in their career where they were all taking $500,000 paychecks or two fifty or, or whatever sure. that would have to be in order to, cause, cause every, the, there, there's a good amount of budget on the screen. Like this movie looks good and there's not like crazy action set pieces and, and whatnot, but it's, there's, there's a good amount of, I, I don't know what the word is for it, talent on the screen. Shall we oh, say? Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah. This, uh, the scene I was talking about at the, um, the dinner table this is where where i was saying Busey is just so good that story about how his dad made him kill his dog when he was a kid uh his his acting is just terrific the the, the line readings and hand gestures and it's all impressive and and he makes that story so captivating i mean it's, he he's can be such an intense great actor and, and yeah. you believe he's like this psycho shrink and that's that's the thing with shrinks right uh, like a lot of times they seem weirder or more fucked up than they're patience and he's literally uh you know panting and out of breath by the end of this story and he's just (laughs) he's so into it and he's such an intense 
performer and he always yeah. kind of has been even in in lighter smaller funny roles even and stuff like point break but he's always at 10 and he's always so interesting to watch and and i think this is this just watching him tell that story is, is something else i don't know mm-hmm. how you it's just like naturalistic acting and he's underrated man he's he's a really good good actor but yeah, once he got going on that story, and then it kept going, and like just yeah, like you said, just his hand gestures and his his eyes, like I was just glued yeah. into his eyes the way he's looking at Ice T telling this story. Like it's it's yeah. it's such a great scene. I was I I was in love with that scene. Yeah, and he's making like sound effects. He's like whomp, and mm-hmm. you know all this yep. stuff, and just so good. I don't I don't know how you do that. You just I guess you memorize that monologue and you just you go yeah. with it but yeah he's a he's a terrific actor dutton is good too that when he's uh describing how he can tell if if a pig's gonna taste good somebody asks like yeah when you when you saw the pig did you know he's gonna be this good and he's like oh oh yeah you, you can tell and he's like he's talking and he's eating and stuff like and he's describing what he knows what to look for and, and everybody what you realize is he's really describing what he's looking for and the people they're gonna hunt hunt and, yeah. and bring back and stuff which is chilling in a way even though he's kind of just you know laughing and talking and eating and, and whatever else and yeah and then you got it from Murray abraham saying shit like oh he's a homeless piece of shit he's nothing he's less than nothing you know and and just stuff like that and all these guys are just so just on point in the the people they're playing and, and like i said they're they're playing off their personas we already know about them for the most part rucker Hauer is just so calm cool collected but also kind of a weirdo and mm-hmm. he's, he's saying things that sound ominous and kind of creepy and you're like oh, okay even though he's just real chill and laid back and they got mcginley who's constantly freaking out and can't hold his shit in <laughs> or together and it's just so so good for uh, a showcase for all these guys yeah yeah totally agree was, the casting is is one of the things that absolutely makes this movie so anyway they they wake him up in the morning and basically tell him exactly what's what uh they, they put a gun to his head and they all start like chanting and cheering and throw him out of the, the cabin. And I see he's like, what the fuck? And they're like, you got as long as it takes us to eat a leisurely breakfast. And then we're coming after you. If you survive, you, you live if, if you don't. And uh, although it seems a little, I mean, what, what's he going to do? Even if he survives, how is he getting back? How's he getting out of there? Yeah. <laughs> uh, how do you, how do you actually survive? And they also get ATVs, whereas ice tea and, and all these, homeless people they hunt has to be on foot so i feel like it's a little unfair they get to drive their uh, you know four wheelers and, and fucking dirt bikes and shit to go after them right with their <laughs> but, with their uh, microphone communications and yeah well all that's fine I, I guess like if you hunt like say you're hunting deer right you mm. you have guns you have weapons you can communicate via walk and talk here but you don't typically you're not out there on like bikes and <laughs> right and atvs and shit so that's that was the one thing where i was like you guys aren't really that badass of hunters if you can't just go on foot but exactly but anyway they at least give them a, a half hour or whatever head start so i guess that's that's pretty nice um uh but ice does the thing where he goes back to the cabin um and then Howard and dutton they're they're kind of great together where they're like you know what i'm thinking and they're they're kind of like synced up and and they're like no one has ever done that before and the <laughs> other guy's like what what and like he went back to the cabin it's just it's kind of creepy but but funny and yeah um the, the two of them kind of hang back a lot while these other guys go off and do their impulsive shit and they just kind of sit back and toast each other and <laughs> smile and laugh and light up a funny. cigar or a doobie or whatever they yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah 
those two are good together. I really like that that dynamic they had. Ice proves to be smart and resourceful uh, throughout the whole movie. He's always like finding ways to hide and he misdirects and he booby traps and and all that stuff. I don't know how realistic that is or why we'd have all that knowledge or why he'd be the one homeless guy to that was the wrong one for them to fuck with. But honestly, what what other movie would you have here if that wasn't the, the case? I mean, <laughs> right. that's always the thing. If he gets movie. killed in ten minutes, then you <laughs> then what? Yeah. Right. So he rushes back to the uh, cabin. That's where he finds the room with all the trophy heads in it. And there's just like, I don't know how many dozens of these heads of homeless yeah. people they're keeping in like formaldehyde jars as, as trophies with little, um, what do you call it? Like little plaques with their, their names. Yeah. On it with stuff. their name on it. Yeah. And they got one. He for sees him one with his name on it. Like, yeah. And he's like, fuck that. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then so they all come back, and uh, through a series of events, the the cabin gets set on fire, and um, Ice-T kills Busey here. And Busey's, like, wrestling with him. He's like, I I like my meat, you know, medium rare or whatever. And then Ice is like, try well done, bitch, and (laughs) kicks him back into the fire, and that's how... (laughs) Into the fire, yeah. That's how Busey does. Which uh, I I like that they... I like the way they spaced out the the deaths of the characters. Like you literally had no idea who, if Busey dies at that part, then you never know when the next person's going to go. Cause that was, right. uh, I don't, I mean, he's the first, he's the first to go. And so yeah. let, it gives a, a sense of unpredictability. Yeah. The poster for this movie is so funny because it says like, it's like ice T's first build, but he's kind of down here, uh, you know, on the, on the, uh, left of the poster, but then you got Rucker Hauer on the right, but he's like up here a little bit above Ice T, and they got like kind of two big pictures of them, and then there's this, this like little picture of Gary Busey like sort of superimposed in there somewhere next to the title. It doesn't say Gary Busey, but like he's just on the poster. It's like they didn't know how to like who's the star of this movie, who's the biggest draw. Like we better throw Busey yeah. on the poster, I guess. <laughs> it's pretty. It's a pretty, it's pretty goofy funny. looking it's poster. Not... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very. Windows 95 uh, Photoshop right. level <laughs> stuff, but <laughs> but whatever. I mean, that's that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So then, uh, McNamara, William McNamara, who, who plays um, F. Murray Abraham's son, and he's he's this is their first time, his first time hunting with this with these guys. He starts freaking out, and he's like, "I, I can't do this, Dad." And what, we're not hunting humans. And uh, Howard starts getting all kind of calm and quietly menacing and creepy and dealing with him and mcginley just goes off the rolls immediately he hates ice he becomes obsessed with killing him and dutton says something like i'm gonna have to put a bullet in his ass i see that now so these guys are already <laughs> kind of turning on each other as they're they're losing their shit but yeah so mcginley doesn't like ice because mcginley just lost his daughter and ice T makes some comment about how he killed his wife and kid which isn't 100% true, but he explains later on as he was the super of this apartment building and he was always working and he was always going to get around to fixing it, but it's just a ghetto death trap. They couldn't afford to get out of there. Finally, one night he comes home, the place is on fire and his his wife and kid died in there, so he blames himself and that's what he meant by saying he thought he killed him. But McGinley doesn't know all that, so he just he, he can't wait to kill this guy because some piece of shit, you know, quote, like Ice-T, um, mm-hmm. killed, killed his daughter. So 
but yeah, there's a nice nice scene with Ice and McGinley, which you alluded to in, in that cave where Ice captures him and he tells him all that stuff and doesn't kill McGinley. And McGinley comes out and it's like, we got to let him go. We got to go back. I'm not going out with you guys anymore. I'm going to fucking get my life together and my shit together. And that's when Howard has him killed. By, uh, yeah, Charles we're still Stone going back in this game now. Yep, we, we're in this like a family. Nobody quits. You know? Yep. So. <laughs> Uh, there is a funny moment where um, Ice captures McGinley's um, headset, and he's he's talking to the guys, and he's talking to Howard and Icena Harv in this real uh, intense back and forth. And then uh, Charles S. Dutton gets on the line, and Charles S. Dutton is the guy who you know recruited Ice, and you think Ice would want to have this back and forth with him or rapport with him, and Dutton says something, and Icey's like, "Fuck you, Cole, you punk sellout motherfucker, put." burns back on the line <laughs> uh-huh. he just completely dismisses him as as like a yeah. total sellout whatever and <laughs> and then, uh that that pisses pisses charles S. dutton off which i thought that was pretty funny so yeah does, D- does that when dutton drops the uh the homophobic slur or is that later in the oh yeah yeah i think yeah so. i'm tired of listening to this yeah faggot motherfucker yeah, yeah. <laughs> Icy has a funny freeze take look when he hears a wolf growling behind him, which is good. I, I just noted that it's not like a, a major plot point or it doesn't matter, but it just goes to show how he's a, again, a good actor. He's got a, got a funny, he can do the, yeah. the facial expressions and, and whatnot and double takes and stuff. And, and that's, that's pretty good. Uh, then there's that scene where ice blows up Dutton's ATV and blows his legs off and Howard has to kill him. That's a, that's a pretty fucked up scene. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, it this is. Movie definitely has some surprises up its sleeve. The, the these guys though, they're all just so good together. You can tell, I mean, the movie sells it that they've known each other forever. They're all sort of I don't know if they're all soldiers or or what they are, but they they certainly act that way and they're not afraid to die. Some of them even welcome death. There at least three of these characters are just like, "Come on, kill me. Let's do it. You know, yeah. let's get it on, finish the game and stuff like that." Mm-hmm. It's just they're all they're all fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. F. Murray Abraham, he's good, creepy in this too, uh, especially after his son dies. He and Howard have a good tense scene. Um, everyone here is pretty good when they devolve into this sort of mad obsession after Ice turns the tables, but uh, even Ice is kind of mad and obsessed by the end. There's that scene at the end where he shakes his fist and shouts, Birds! And he does it twice. Twice, and, yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. And it's not, that should be cheesy, and, and I guess maybe it is, but it it works fine. And he looks great in the dark with his face all, yeah. you know, completely black and soot and shit and the dress he is his yeah. white eyes and white teeth yeah. yeah and he's just shouting birds and <laughs> everyone again the cast is so on point like ricochet another movie that has aged well despite whatever dated elements uh both they just run a brisk hour 30 40 they get in get out i don't know it's a little convenient how resourceful ice t kind of is in this i was saying that earlier uh he's able to play these guys so effectively and stay one step ahead also, is the implication supposed to be at the end that he somehow rode that fucking dirt bike back to Seattle from the Oh, mountains? I didn't even... Oh, okay, yeah. Because Rucker Hauer is walking out of that building, and then in the alley, the dirt bike is sitting there, and it's like they had to fly into that. And it made, they made it seem like it was a long time with like yeah. time cuts and, and jumps and stuff. Right. And then... Uh, you know, Rucker Hauer takes off. Ice T is is left after all the guys are dead. Rucker Hauer survives. He flies away. Ice T reveals himself to still be alive in the in the dust and dirt after the plane takes off. And then um, Hauer's back in town. 
Ice T's back in town, but Howard sees the the bike in the alley behind it, like a dumpster, and that's how he knows Ice T is there. Did, are we supposed to believe this motherfucker rode a dirt bike from <laughs> the yeah. the mountains yeah. back to Seattle? That's insane. With a with but... a bullet wound. <laughs> Mind you. Yeah, also, yeah, right. Yeah, that's the other thing. How would you even know the way? How would you know where? Yeah, exactly. Going? Where was the <laughs> Where was the Washington State Patrol with this with yeah. a black guy on a dirt bike riding all the way back yeah, to Seattle? Right. <laughs> and the only thing I could maybe figure is if he somehow got a bunch of money, although they burned the cabin down and stuff, so I don't know where he would have come up with any cash. Right. But I was thinking maybe he just got himself in the bike back, but. I don't know. We're probably putting more thought into this movie than they want us to, but I just, I thought that was anybody, anybody who thinks about that. Is good. But, but it is kind of cool how he, how he's about to like skip town. He, he dyes his hair. He changes his whole persona and he's going to leave. And then he sees the bike and that's how he knows that shit's fucked up. And then there's that great callback to what is his homeless friend before he died. The told him that if you find a gun, you better always check the, the barrel because it could blow up in your hand. So Ice-T fights with Howard, takes Howard's gun, and then Howard's like, this is another scene I was talking about, kill me, shoot me, you know, finish the game, let's let's do it. Although he's not shouting, he's doing what Howard always does. He's like, let's, let's okay, I'm ready. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. The, the true Rutger Howard yeah, style. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And ice is just like, bang! And, you know, he's like, fuck you, burns you bitch whatever and he, he walks away with the gun and you hear him unload it and drop the bullet on the ground he throws the gun down and howard kind of scurries over to it and uh puts the bullet in and and he's like yo mason and he's gonna shoot him and then ice t is like burns there's always something you should do when you find a gun always check the barrel and <laughs> burn shoots and blows up off. i mean you yeah. don't see it but uh yeah you just you hear the the shot and <laughs> And then cue credits, whatever. Yeah, great. Then cue credits. Yeah. yeah, I'm all for a movie that yep. just ends like that with with frozen guy and credits. Like, yep. yep, this movie just lopes right along and and does exactly what it sets out to do, and it's totally satisfying. Everybody's great in it. There's funny stuff. There's suspenseful stuff. There's gross stuff. There's uh, some great acting uh you know th- this movie probably has better acting than it even needed this movie would have been fine even if they didn't have some of those those cool monologues and, mm-hmm. and things like that so it was not a hit unfortunately like i said one thing might be it came out right after hard target uh it, it barely made back its minuscule 7.5 million budget i think it made 7.7 but that doesn't include marketing costs and all that like i said i can't believe it costs so little to make because it looks great and uh, has a ton of stars, and you think their salaries alone would put it over seven million before you even get to all the action right. and production design and everything. Ironically, that McNamara Chasers movie I mentioned that opened the next week costs fifteen million and has less named stars and no big action sequences or impressive cinematography, and it made even less. It made one point six million against that fifteen wow. million dollar budget. So I don't know. Back to back, literally within a week of each yeah. other, uh, flops. Put a, put a nail in McNamara's acting coffin. But even though he's listed as still active, I haven't seen him uh, in, a, in a thing other than he's in a last season episode of NYPD Blue, which I, I don't remember him in, but I, I'm sure I saw it. And a TNT adapt, adaptation of uh, Stephen King's Nightmare and Dreamscapes. But those two things were almost 20 years ago, so I, <laughs> I have no idea what he's doing. But 
it's unfortunate that this movie kind of crapped on everybody mostly ice tea and this is what i kind of was saying i wanted to get into this should have been his like coming out party you know after yeah. new jack city trespass and ricochet which are all kind of ensemble movies and he's supporting in them I, I guess he's the main bad guy in trespass but either way it, it, it this is the first one he's carrying kind of above the title and he kills it and we we talked about uh, how just his image and and natural gangster swagger does a lot of work and makes something like ricochet the perfect role for him and then in 92 trespass uh, he that also kind of underperforms at the box office he's terrific in that but it finds a huge following on video much like surviving the game eventually did but it's also more of a it just it's a thing where he's with a bunch of other people and, and this this one he's he's out there in the lead and even though you got all these great actors he's this is poised to make him sort of the the action hero and he does well and i firmly believe if more people saw this movie in theaters and it was a bigger hit he would have had a huge career but after this kind of tanks he goes back to supporting roles and genre films and eventually straight to dvd flicks and then tv and you know like we talked about he's not not perfect in this but had it been a hit and seeing where he was at versus where he started and where how he is now and like law and order and how good he is and and how much of just a natural actor he's become i I think he could have parlayed this movie had it been bigger into a a bigger sure movie career um but i think after two disappointments in a row hollywood just figured he was a one-trick pony you know also his rap sales kind of dried up around this point um we talked about g-funk kind of coming in and him not changing so by 95 you know the next year after this he was kind of a, a man without a country on on all fronts yeah and he just like started just taking whatever he could get i think he threw himself more into body count and finally law and order came along and uh the rest is kind of history and it's it's unfortunate i think he could have been been something more but well, speaking of tanking um is tank, tank girl, girl yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that uh is that 95? 95, yep. Okay. He's also in Johnny Mnemonic. He's in 3,000 Miles to Graceland. Is that the title of it? With Costner oh, and Kurt yeah. Russell. Uh-huh. So yeah, he starts getting these supporting yeah. roles. And you're like, oh, it's cool to see Ice-T pop up in this. Or he's in this movie. And, and he's good in all this shit. But he's not ever the, the star again. At least not. I mean, he, he is in some straight-to-DVD stuff. You know, I'm thinking about movies like Mean Guns, and we mentioned like Leprechaun, The Hood, and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it's it's just unfortunate that this movie didn't do well because I think this is kind of the make or break for him. And after this, right, playing a homeless guy here kind of got me thinking about what he could potentially do as a dramatic actor. Like, let's say this movie were played straight, like more of a drama about a homeless guy, and Ice was the lead. You know, mm-hmm. what do you what do you think that would have done for him i mean it's i'm not saying he's perfect in this movie and he probably still needed a few more movies to kind of get that under his belt but um i think if he had a little more time and uh could could maybe had a few more roles like this he could have been a good dramatic actor yeah and uh yeah and i was gonna say i i was thinking before about if this had been a successful first starring role what what sort of roles he could have been cast in after that and I don't know, like for Hollywood, I mean, there, yeah, like you said, Will Smith, he was a rapper turned actor. Yep. Um, so that's not, not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, Ice T's persona is a little more rough than, than Will Smith's, right. but he can also, he can act dramatically too. 
So, right. yeah, I mean, I, I'm guessing there would have been a few more urban movies uh, done, and then maybe, you know, maybe he could have branched out. Well, I don't mean to insinuate that he would be the next Will Smith or or, or like an Oscar-winning actor or anything like that, although who knows? I mean, everybody could potentially be that. Um, but more so than, like you said, just making urban movies and, and things of that nature, I think if he had the chance to make a few more things where it was more an emotional arc of a character or, or things like that, I think he could have... Yeah. excelled at that but instead after this clearly he just took kind of these paycheck roles where he was doing the stuff that people just thought he was good at or was the only thing he could do and uh and just, right. just kind of taking whatever he can get so the the opportunity really wasn't there and and that's unfortunate because i think this should have been the movie that got him to that next level uh, or, or at least gave him the chance for that next level i don't know how well he would have done moving into more drama and things like that but it'd have been nice to see yeah definitely i would I'm, I'm very interested to see what could have been but i guess we'll never know but like you said at yeah. least we got the if you're a fan of iced tea there's a 20 seasons of law and order that you can watch him on yeah that's true I, but but yeah you watch that and he's he's very good on that show um again it's a mm -hmm. network tv show so it's a little bit different than uh movies um and it's also not the most I mean, Law and Order has never been like NYPD Blue or The Shield or, or you know, anything too gritty like that. So it, it's hard to the actors on there are a little more stock. It's it's not really serialized in the same way that some of those are, where you just keep up on their um, their character arcs and and things like that. So right, it's, it's not really the best best place to to flex those chops. You just kind of play the same character week in week out, but. Right. Uh, but I don't know. I, I I watched him on there initially just to kind of support it and see what it was all about. And I, I said, okay, pretty good. And Law and Order was never really my jam. So I just, I kind of tuned out and I, I don't know what, what they're doing with that show these days or what he's doing on it. But um, I'm glad he's got a steady gig and, and he keeps doing all kinds of shit all the time. And he's got a podcast and he's great on Twitter and, uh, you know, still makes music whenever he wants to. Unfortunately, mostly with Body Count, although he has a greatest hits album of sorts coming out with i guess five unreleased rap tracks so i'm looking forward to that oh nice that drops in like a month or something yeah so okay so whatever i mean I, w I wish him all the best and like i said he's he's one of my one of my heroes and yeah i can't understate how like the impact he had on me when i first kind of heard him and that og album and then went back and everything else and you know, New Jack Hustler and all that. And yeah, these four movies, at least, uh, New Jack City, Ricochet, Trespass, and this one are are some of my favorites. I'll, I'll never get tired of watching any of those. So thank you, Mr. Yeah. Ice-T. Um, stars, again, I think it's at least a three-star film. Uh, this one's even a little more polished than Ricochet. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess I like Ricochet a little better overall. Uh, but this one's got such a great cast. It's hard to... But uh, yeah, I'll I'll go four once again in terms of just being completely entertained and satisfied and yeah, even I, surprised I by by how good some of it was. So. Yeah, totally agree. I'm you know, four right. stars in terms of my fandom fandom role as opposed to my yeah. serious critic hat. <laughs> do you want to do box office? Sure. Or do you want me to do it again? Yeah, lay it on me. You're gonna try. I'll give try it a try, guess. Yeah. It. All right. So this. 
this movie came out uh, the weekend of April 15th, 1994. I can't think of, like, I know the ref right. was out in, like, March of 94, but God, I can't remember off the top of my head much. Yeah, this is a pretty good list. It's going to be hard to give you some clues to some of this stuff, but... All right, your first movie is in its sixth week of release. Sixth week of release. This is... I don't know if it's an import. It, it might be, but it definitely stars some uh, some British folk. It's the breakout film for a oh, certain uh, British four star weddings around and a funeral. Correct. Yeah. All right. It's in its sixth week. It's up to fourteen million dollars. Uh, your second movie is a film we've actually talked about in conjunction with um, a comedian on the Big Four O. Uh, he's in Caddyshack. Uh, uh, is it Dangerfield? Oh no, Chevy Chase. Yep. Uh, uh, is that the is that the the one with Jack Palance? Is it the Cops and Robertsons or whatever? Or is this Cops and Robertsons? You are correct, sir. Wow. Number okay. two, it's new this Never week. Saw it. It made. Yeah, well, it made three point seven million dollars, and it's <laughs> the opening weekend. So this is not a huge weekend for <laughs> right. movies, by the way. Yeah, April, I guess. So. Number three is a movie I adore. It's in its fifth week of release. It's only up to $26 million. I think it's utterly underrated. It might be my favorite movie from this director. All-star cast. Um, the director... Uh, it's going to be too easy if I give it to you. But he did a movie two years later, which you and I saw together at probably The Ridge with Mel Gibson shouting, where is my son? Or give me back my son. Oh. Oh, the uh, yeah, Ron Howard. So was this the paper? This is the paper. Yep. One of my favorite movies. Love All right. It. It's number three this week. It was number three the week before. Like I said, five weeks of release, only up to $26 million. Unfortunate. That doesn't make too much money. Number four is a sequel, Emilio Estevez. He, it's one of these oh, sort of Mighty bad Ducks news too. bears. Yep. Fighting Ducks 2, correct. Yeah. Number five is also a sequel. Um, kind of in the league of uh, necessary roughness. This is a major drop from the predecessor, although some people say they like it, but it's the PG version of the R-rated original. Yeah. I gave you a clue. I think I know. It's a uh, Major League 2. Yep. <laughs> I had a, had a slip there when yeah. I said Major. <laughs> <laughs> Number six is an all-star cast led by a rapper turned actor who should have been been bigger than he is. It's surviving oh, the game, um, dork. Surviving the game, <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's new this week. Number six only makes $2.9 million. Um, well, the fact that it over doubled its opening weekend at that, I guess, is something. So. Number seven is a, another sequel. This is the third installment in the franchise. Probably one of my favorite franchises of all time. Um, in fact, it's the last entry. Uh, so it only has three. And if, if we're talking trilogies, um, I'd have to think a little harder about it, but it might be my favorite trilogy of all time. Wow. Wow. It's a okay. comedy. Um, okay. Um... I mean, I guess if you don't want to think of Star Wars as not being a nine-film series or whatever, maybe the, yeah. <laughs> the first three Star Wars. Like, I don't know. I'd have to think a little harder about it. But um, 
maybe Clint Eastwood's Man with No Name trilogy. I don't know, but I, I, I mean, honestly, just talking movies with threes. Is it a straight comedy? As opposed to like a satire or something, or like an action comedy or oh yeah, I mean, no like straight it's not comedy, action comedy, right? Straight comedy, okay. Over the top. Uh, oh man, what was the third? What would a third movie? And it's one of your favorite trilogies. I should know this. I mean, I freaking when, lived with when you. I say it, you'll <laughs> you'll be like, oh yeah, but I don't know if I'm missing any trilogies. There's got to be some. I don't know. Nothing's jumping out at me, but it's also getting late here, so my my brain is turning. All right, who's the star? Well, I can't tell you that. Um, Uh, I'll tell you for 1994, uh, one of the supporting cast is Anna Nicole Smith, so she's popular at the time. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, Naked Gun 3. It is. 33 and a third. Yeah. The final yeah. insult. That's right. The final insult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, what, what's you got a better trilogy? Like, what? What? What's your favorite trilogy? Of? That's a that's a great question because I got to thinking like, there's not many straight trilogies. Like they always added a fourth or yeah. a fifth, even if. Yeah. Um, At the time, yeah. there were a couple that would have rivaled it. I would have said, you know, Lethal Weapon or or Die Hard or something. Well, actually, this is '94, so yeah. even Die Hard wasn't a three, but uh, yeah. yeah. It's weird. Um, anyway, it's up to forty-three point five million dollars. It's in its fifth week of release. Uh, it what did I where did I say that was this week? Um, number seventh seven. So something? it yeah it dropped yeah. from fourth to seventh. So it's sliding. But uh, all right, number eight is also a sequel. Uh, this one is about a wolf. Uh, the first one came out in I don't know ninety ninety one maybe. Um, you'll know it when I say it, but you're probably not gonna guess it. It's all right. It's it's not the it's not the American werewolf in in Paris one, is no, it? No, that's ninety seven. This is this is a literal okay. wolf, like a a, a, okay. a white wolf. Oh, um, that that's in the title, by the way. <laughs> yeah, not White Fang. Um, it is White Fang. White Fang too. Oh, it is a oh. Oh, okay. I didn't even know they made a sequel to that. <laughs> Myth of the White Wolf. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's new this week, and it made two point six million dollars. So at least uh, surviving okay. the game beat that. I guess. I don't know. Number three is a movie that sounds more titillating than it ended up being. It stars Laura Flynn Boyle, Stephen Baldwin. Um, I wanted to see it. They're college kids. Um, then I, I I thought it was going to be something sexy oh, or whatever. It's really yeah. not. Is it like threesome or something like that? threesome it is wow yeah i never saw it but i i i figured i would have heard more about it if it if it uh yeah. warranted me seeing it so it's laura flynn boyle stephen baldwin who's the other guy maybe like josh charles or something like that i can't remember exactly who was all in that i did see it and i i thought i liked it okay it's just it's not about what you you think it's about you know so, right um all right Number 10 is your Oscar winner for 1993. It's up to $83 million at this point. That's surprising. I thought it made more money than that, but went from Uh, 7 to 10 this week. Wouldn't that be Philadelphia? Uh, No, that did not win Best Picture of 1993, sir. What is wrong with me? Um, Best Actor? Okay. Um, 
Oh, this is sad. Uh, it's a no, senior Spielbergo film. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Fucking Schindler's List. Schindler's List, correct. Fucking Schindler's List, yeah. <laughs> 18 weeks in release. <laughs> I thought the movie wow. cracked 100. Maybe it does eventually. I don't know, but it's, yeah, it's hanging around. Jeez, you would think. Rounding out the top 10, uh, Serial Mom is number 11. That's new this week. That really tanked, uh, made 2.061. Although, I guess I shouldn't say that because all of these movies are kind of like right in that same, uh, you know, Survivor uh-huh. the Game does 2.9. Uh, I don't I don't know how all these movies kind of made right around the same amount of money between the Naked Gun White Thing, Threesome, Schindler's List, and Serial Mom, but they're all between 2 and 2.9. Number 12 is Mrs. Doubtfire. That's up to $215 million at this point. 21 weeks in release. I don't know if that got like a re-release or something. It says it was like at number 11 the week before, so I'm guessing that. Um, Yeah, I don't know. 13 is Philadelphia, which you guessed a minute ago. Um, 17 weeks in release, $71.9 million. It's at 12 the week before. 13 now. And number 14, Sugar Hill with Wesley Snipes. $17.6 million, eight weeks in release. We did all right. I guess I just thought of that as kind of like a came and went type thing. Not that right. 17 million set the world on fire, but uh, anyway. That's more than I would have guessed. Yeah. Well, there you have it, sir. Um, that is sort of our distillation of all things iced tea, all things rap. Uh, all things Ricochet yeah. and Surviving the Game. Um, yeah, I'm glad we watched these two. I'm glad we talked about all that shit. I knew it was going to take forever, yeah. so sorry about the... <laughs> no, it's all good. We, uh, I think we paid him a, a, a honest, accurate tribute, I'd say. Yeah, for sure, and, and I still love the guy. And like I said, I, it's not, I don't say it critically at all that you know his his star fell on, on either front. I, I wish it wouldn't have, and I... Still, who knows? You never know if he can ever get out of the uh, right. <laughs> the box he's in. Uh, maybe maybe he can still do great things. But uh, but yeah, like I said, he's got a show that's more than most people got, and he's also always doing all kinds of other cool shit and good for iced tea. So, all right, yeah, next definitely. week is this finally pieces and the big chill. Is that what we're doing? Yes, sir. All right, that's gonna be a weird fucked up episode because those two movies have nothing to do with each other. Uh, wildly, <laughs> other ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, pieces. I, I don't, I know we've been talking about this. I don't want to blow it up too much. I want to do it. I'm not trying to say it's like this great movie, but it's, it's definitely a sleazy, uh, uh, flick and there's good ones and bad ones and off-putting ones and whatnot. But I think this one falls into the more fun than gross category. Um, though it's certainly okay. gross and I don't know. I hope you enjoy it. I hope I enjoy it. I haven't seen it in quite a few years, but I liked it well enough to buy the Blu-ray when it came out. And, uh, I haven't watched it since I got it, so I'm looking forward to doing it again. I'm looking forward to you seeing it for the first time and seeing where we fall. And The Big Chill, man, that movie, uh, it, it kind of casts a wide shadow, but you hear so many different things about it that it's either a, a total relic of its time and a piece of shit and, and who gives a fuck about these old fucking yuppies whining about their <laughs> their shit or it's uh, it's a real profound uh, sort of right. cerebral thing. So I'm curious to see where we fall in that, especially now that we're kind of the... The age of some of those people, or maybe not quite that age, but getting to that age of some of those people. I don't know. Are they in their 30s, 40s, 50s? What's sure. the deal with them? Like they're No, yeah, I think they're younger. Yeah. I, yeah, I think younger. they okay. They were hippie. They're probably like 10 years out of college or something. 
So it's maybe like the 20th high school reunion for them or something, or 15th, or I don't even know the premise. I know they all get together at like a house and air grievances and whatnot, you know, talk about where they are in life. Yeah. Okay. Well, their friend, yeah. Well, you'll see. I'll let you see. (laughs) Yeah. I, somebody dies, right? I do. I, I've seen it. It has, it's, it's been a while, but I, I have seen it. But, yeah. Uh, I don't think I've watched it with a, uh, a okay. 40 year old mindset. So I'm interested to see where I fall on that. If they're supposed to be younger than us, though, that's going to be fucked up. Cause I'm not used to thinking of myself sure. as younger than like William Hurt or, uh, uh, who else is in that movie? Kevin Klein. <laughs> <Right>. and... <laughs> like Jeff so. Goldblum. Yeah. Oh, Goldblum's in that. I yeah. Forgot, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, we're doing that next week. Yeah. Okay. All right. Until then, everybody. Yes, uh, you sir. Know, rate, like, subscribe. Uh, you know, tell all your friends. Tell tell Ice T. Here's what we, we can do this week. We can just get on Twitter and Ice T. You know, listen. I sent Ice this um, thing this afternoon, and here, let me check Twitter real quick. See if he got back to me. Uh, if not, um, Ice T. You know, he. In terms of celebrity interactions, I've had a few of them. Either he's liked probably half a dozen of my tweets over the last, I don't know, 10 years. And uh, he's responded to a couple. I have a couple questions I, I sent out there. Uh, so I, I would consider him probably my biggest celebrity encounter on, on the social medias and whatnot. So um, who knows? Uh, maybe maybe he'll he'll get back to me. But here's what you guys do. You say, uh, yo, Ice. These guys on the big four O did a whole podcast pretty much devoted to you and how, how they got into you and how much they love you and how you, you change their, their mindset and, and whatnot. And, um, yeah, that's, that'll be a great way to give this podcast a shout out. If ice T shouts out, uh, the big four O and that's better than like fucking what we were talking Thank about, you like, you know, advance. painting cop cars and, you know, airplane banners and stuff like that. That's it's a lot easier too. You just got to go to Twitter right. and fucking, Tag iced tea. It's not that hard. Yeah. At at final level, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and at the big four <laughs> All right, Peter. Uh thanks once again uh for putting up with me on another drunken uh, Saturday. Next time I will uh, do better. And um thanks for dealing <laughs> with worries, three man. hours of, of iced tea talk. So hopefully by the next time you see me I haven't murdered <laughs> my family and uh, you know, handful of friends and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs>